action right here on Monday Night Show. You want a war? You're going to get one. You fans can stick it, brother. Brett screwed Brett. This is bullshit! And I also appreciate the fact that, hell, you can kiss my ass. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 114 of Squared Circle Gazette Radio. I am Liam O'Rourke alongside Carl Jones. We are still a Tad Fowler free zone. Unfortunately the same cannot be said for Mr. Smith. And Kieran O'Rourke. Hello. <laughs> and uh, we are back this week for our latest instalment of the Monday Night War timeline, February of 1999, covering every Raw, Nitro, and pay-per-view and backstage tidbit from the time uh, from the Wrestling Observer newsletters and Pro Wrestling Torch newsletters. As always, if you haven't heard any of our previous episodes, you can, of course, go back to the archives at squaredcirclegazette.com, where we archive every show we've ever done. Uh, last week on this show, this is, of course, the second of three in a row that we're going to do here. Uh, we're covering March 99 next week. We did January last week. And uh, very interesting because obviously the uh, finger poke of doom happened in our previous episode of the timeline, but contrary to popular belief, didn't have an immediate negative effect on ratings. As things stand right now, Raw is averaging about 5.5, 5.6, Nitro hovering around a 5. So uh, there's still life to this thing, it's not a done deal yet, but this is going to be a very interesting timeline to do to uh, see how things shape up because, oh boy. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> Ten pages of notes. Let's get to the first one here from the Pro Wrestling Torch, who say that uh, obviously we've got a, a Raw and a Nitro on February 1st, head to head. WCW booker Kevin Nash and Diamond Dallas Page made a speech to the wrestlers before Nitro this week to establish a stricter set of rules. He told wrestlers, this is Nash, that they need to get to the arena when they are asked to, which is early in the afternoon on Mondays. Nash said they plan to do more pre produced vignettes and interviews from this point forward. Nash also said there will be zero tolerance for wrestlers putting up a fuss about doing jobs. Although morale is up because the organisation level is higher than ever, and because Bischoff has been uh, mending a number of fences with wrestlers he's butted heads with in the past, there was snickering that Kevin Nash managed to keep a straight face talking about being tardy and avoiding jobs, given his well-earned rep in those areas. This, this is a rib, right? This has to be a rip. Why was DDP next to him? He was the he was Nash's like assistant booker back in like November December time, wasn't the, he? The more we do these, the more I hate this man. DDP. Yeah, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. I feel. Yeah, he's. I don't want to say I've done a complete one eighty on him because I was never like you know completely enamoured with him by any stretch. However, I have noticeably soured on him as the timelines have progressed. Was it because you heard the news last week that you want to get Van Hammer a push? <laughs> Well, it doesn't help. <laughs> it doesn't help this cause. As we say, we're head to head on February 1st. We'll start with Raw. Uh, this week, we've got a lot of silly skits with Vincent Mann and the Stooges hunting for Steve Austin in Texas. This is uh, some of the weaker material that Vince and Austin were given during this entire rivalry. Very often forgotten uh, situation here. They're in Texas, of course. They're, they're, they're going through bars. They're looking for Steve Austin. Vincent Mann is talking about how he knows how to deal with these people. Uh, so, and, and the whole thing is that Vince obviously wants to get out of the match at St. Valentine's Day Massacre he's trying to incite Steve Austin to hit him which will uh, void uh, Austin's contract and get Vince out of the match so uh, again this is kind of a recurring thing you get you get uh, Patterson and Briscoe in chaps and cowboy yeah, hats that's, that's what I was going to write that was going to be my contribution it's all about that <laughs> oh, this, this is part living the dream <laughs> <laughs> uh, we go to a Shane McMahon promo in the building obviously this is the uh, Shane's kind of the, the head guy in charge this week uh, a cage is lowered from the ceiling because obviously the main event tonight is going to be Kane versus Triple H 
An X-Pack is, is uh, sitting atop the cage as it's being lowered, and an X-Pack gets down and kicks his ass until China, the newly heel-turned China, remember, made the save for Shane McMahon. So again, set up for later on. Uh, Billy Gunn versus Val Venus goes through a no contest when Ken Shamrock attacks, uh, attacks Val Venus with a chair. So uh, continuing that as we go to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Goldust attacks the Blue Meanie as retaliation for last week. These are the hot feuds going on underneath mm. in the WWF. Uh, D'Lo Brown finds out that Terry was not pregnant. <clears throat> I think it was old Francois Petit who uh, yeah. broke the news here, but uh, shock horror. Terry, never pregnant. So it wasn't the baby I saw last week. It wasn't. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. Uh, Dross's feud with the oddities rages on, I wrote here. He wrestled George Steele the week before and Kurgan this week. Oof. You know, just, just, just to st- I don't mean to stop you sort of mid, <coughs> mid-recap, but Please. It just, <laughs> but doesn't this just hammer home this, this notion that we've talked about before and it's something that still the persistent lack of depth to the roster? Midian and Viscera versus The Brood. <laughs> Yeah, it, um... I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed, uh, and that ends with uh, the acolytes pounding on the brood and hanging Gangrel. Um, Mankind gives the rocks money away throughout the show. This is kind of the other recurring gags they go through. Obviously, Mankind had stolen rocks one hundred thousand dollars that he got from Vince for uh, helping eliminate Steve Austin from the Rumble. He's just going around giving you know money to Deborah to give her a sweater and stuff. That hiring out Max Mini for his kids for four hundred dollars or something like that. Real cheapskate. Even with a hundred grand, he's a haggler. Uh, you know the, the exchange rate with the peso. What can you do? <laughs> um, just casting my mind back, though, wasn't part of him getting the match with Rock at halftime. He wasn't one of the conditions he would give the rest of the money back to the Rock. That's what I thought at the time. Yeah, wasn't wasn't that openly mentioned on television? I think it ended up. Uh, I don't know if that was the case here. If this is one of those things they just kind of forgot about. But Last Man Standing is the match that's uh, made on this show between Rock and Mankind. For St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Uh, the Acolytes beat Al Stone and Road Dog in a wild brawl, uh, actually, with Road Dog getting injured as well in the middle of this match. Uh, Druids attack Al Snow and Road Dog, and then it's revealed that they are, in fact, the Brood. And that earlier on, when Gangro got hanged, it was an initiation. They are now part of the Undertaker's ministry. Does this uh, kind of, you know, lighten the, uh, your heartstrings about the ministry now that the Brood were involved, Carl? No. No? I never particularly cared for Gangrel, and at this point, what are Edge and Christian, really, apart from a couple of no-marks? I think Edge looks good in the group. He's, I think he looks he's cool. He's standing there, he's got the cool look on his face. He, he looks like he looks like he's something, unlike uh, the rest of them. Yeah, he's, Christian he's, looks quite gormless as he yeah, stares at the yeah, Undertaker. I mean, Gangrel's trying to be like a Gang, ham. Gangrel needs to go. It's just, just yeah. awful. Yeah. Awful. Look, Edge has a good look, but considering the shit that consists of this ministry, which is Viscera, Midian... Undertaker in his demonic phase and you know buffet busting Paul Bearer, you know, Edge with a good look isn't enough of a counterbalance. Mm, I see. Well, with, with Bearer and Vista, it's going to take something some quite <laughs> impressive on the counterbalance. But uh, yeah, so anyway, Vince's hunt for Steve Austin ends with him confronting Austin in a bar. Uh, Austin doesn't bite, saying that he will fight him at the baby, but he's not going to touch him now. But then leaves him with the fine folks of Texas, who are uh, kind of lingering around Vince, and basically after Vince insults Texas and Texans, Austin just leaves the bar and leaves them there. And I think Joey Lawler makes a comment about how it's like a scene from Deliverance. Uh, I think the the one the scene before this one when they thought they finally got him it's like in the gun shop or something oh, yeah. that was pretty good <laughs> basically Vince thinks he's got him yeah. I don't know how he got the news that Steve Austin was behind the door but basically he kicks the door in and insults the guy but before, before they get to that like uh, Gerald's there with him because there's a lot of guns here Mr. McMahon <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, <laughs> it's, it's the owner of the gun store that they actually storm in on. The best. Yeah, in full Steve Austin uh, attire. Yeah. Um, actually, now, my favourite piece, the favourite line was the very first one. And Gerald goes, I've been beating up Texans my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Terry Funk's throwing his, uh, his hat down there with the double cross ranch. The Alamo doesn't count, Gerald. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the main event on the show, as we said, Triple H beats Kane in the cage match main event. X-Pac and China get involved, but Triple H exits the cage first, and uh, China issues a challenge for a mixed tag for the pay-per-view. Mm, he gets a, a few uh, where he either gets or he's had. This will be second or third main event. Uh, on Raw Trips. in recent weeks yeah. it is indeed very definite stepping up of the uh, Triple H focus uh, as a more prominent upper mid-carder and it just screams to me the lack of depth on the show again compared to yeah. like on Nitro you got like okay there's Bret Hart making a random appearance <laughs> and this one is like Triple H is you know, very important to yeah. this fucking threadbare ever, squad ever since he came back in December well obviously then that was the month when Austin wasn't around so they really relied on him then but like you say the, the, the match with Rock yeah, two matches with Rock in, in January, I believe. And then this one here is all the Kane and a cage match main event with no Austin around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but again, kind of a bit of a yeah, raw compared to uh, what we've kind of been talking about previously on the timelines. Move over to Nitro on their premium chance, you would think, to try and put up some opposition. And we get videos of the NWO backstage trying to be cool. Hulk Hogan in a limo with Chuck Zito of Hell's Angels. Just being lame. Trying to joke around. This is... This is... It's... <laughs> it's- it's the wood trying to act almost gangster like wood that's what I thought <laughs> well it, it is very apt but it's yeah it's it's terrible and you know I'd like to think that thankfully they just do it to open the show but uh, but no. no it's it's a recurring scene to be fair to him he's slightly cooler than Chuck Zito I don't know what he's got this, this better is, sunglasses. This, that's true, but this is the, this is the segment where he calls uh, he, he says jiggly jiggly Jew for some reason about the cameraman, which they repeat on the uh, following week's episode of Night Drive. It causes a stir. Oh well. See, see, the warning signs were there. <laughs> we should have seen them. The other recurring thing this week is Eric Bischoff uh, sitting on a dunk tank with a uh, Ric Flair kind of uh, you know directing traffic here. This is this is just goes nowhere. The only thing I enjoyed about this entire show long story is Bobby Heenan. Yes, <laughs> Bobby Heenan, the weasel. The weasel makes this uh, <laughs> he makes it watchable. Where he's got the uh, the balls in his hand. Oh, thank you. And uh, he says, "I'm going to give these back to you, Eric, so no one can get you." And he walks up to the tank to do it, and then he slips on the water and he runs into the thing, and Bischoff takes a bump in the water. So if that was like the final segment, <laughs> and ha- Bischoff hadn't gone in the water at that point, yeah. That would have been good. Or at least it could, it could have been theory been good. This, though, he like, goes on the whole show. He's been in the water a couple of times. People can't throw from two yards away for shit. No. Um, and when you, they do hit the thing, it doesn't work anyway. And then when he does go in, it's a very gentle slide. I don't even think that there was... Uh, this is, I think this is bullshit. I don't think it was actually a dunk tank. I think he was just sat on there and he would just have to take the bump Jump in off. himself. Yeah, I really think so. Well, that would make sense. Yeah. <laughs> discount, discount WCW, it's fine. Well, God knows WCW have to make savings somewhere, <laughs> so it may as well be this. Um, again, this is something which, theoretically, I don't have a problem with. I don't mind the, the sort of the, the trend of Flair making Bischoff's life hell, because God knows he's not getting any of his heat off the NWO Wolfpack. More on that later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't mind something like this, but again, it, it's like the stuff that we mentioned on the previous month. The execution is terrible, it drags, and really all you needed is you know a quick segment of people throwing it, as you say, Kieran, failing to hit it, 
and then you know Bobby doing the classic ham acting that he, that he used to do so well back in the WWF and you know that that would have been fine but I guess if they'd done that that would have implied maybe you know it was going somewhere with Heenan and it obviously wasn't it was nah. just throwaway bullshit throwaway comedy Kurt Hennig and Barry Windham that dream team go over Benoit and Malenko on this show when Hennig pins Benoit with the perfect plex or Hennig plex sorry excuse me uh, clean th- clean clean as a whistle yeah and then afterwards in the next segment Ric Flair comes out and says Chris Benoit is the top contender for the US title what? I believe this happens a number of times this month. Yeah, this is this this tag match is part of apparently a double elimination tournament. No brackets that I that I ever saw. <laughs> a trend for WCW apparently. <laughs> anyway, uh, Scott Hall and Disco Inferno come out to question Benoit being the number one contender after he's just lost. Um, Benoit runs in and the main event is made for later. So Benoit versus Scott Hall is your uh, your headline attraction here on this episode of Nitro, February first. Um, the Sandman walks out wrapped in barbed wire wearing a police dog attack uniform thing yeah I think that he was a very just a pudgy fellow at this point he was wearing just like a t-shirt but I think he was just fat no yeah no look it's not impossible for this to happen to the it's not impossible look look back at you know 95 ECW he's got quite the gut quite the punch Mm. as they say Uh, so yeah he comes out and cuts a promo about being extreme and calls out Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam doesn't Bam say his name, and they don't say it either. They don't say his name either. They just kind of they um, they don't they don't acknowledge his name. I don't think abstractly reference him. Uh, yeah, they, they act like they don't know where he's from. Bam Bam Bigelow comes out and beats him in hardcore match. So uh, thanks for coming. Uh, Scott Steiner goes into a locker room and comes out with a Nitro Girls costume, continuing another week of great behaviour from Scott Steiner. But of course, don't forget, Liam. We have to emphasise how tough DDP is. To just walk into the Wolfpack locker room, oh, ask, oh. ask where he is, and then just walk out. Yeah, what the fuck's that about? Well, DDP, you know, he can walk in the locker room, but Goldberg can't. Well, they're just casually sitting around, not caring. Yeah, they give a fuck with DDP standing there. Never mind. Uh, the NWO then tell Virgil to accept DDP's challenge on behalf of Scott Steiner, and they go out there and slap Page in the face. Virgil exits the room and tells Disco Inferno, who apparently is even lower on the turn pole than him, that he needs to go and do it and that the NWO will be right behind him. So that's he goes out, calls, calls out DDP, slaps him in the face, and then like turns around like an idiot to the entranceway for like, you know, the run-in, which never comes. DDP hits the diamond cutter. Um, Scott Steiner beats Chris Jericho after Perry sat and distracts him uh, while he's wearing the dress. You might want to sound off on this match a little bit here. What a very peculiar match this was. I was befuddled by this match. I texted you asking what was up with it. I wasn't expecting an answer. I was expecting to be told there's a story behind it, and then you divulge more on the show now. But apparently, the case. there is no story no? to it. Um, it's really weird. They start off obviously. Jericho sends Ralph to the back, so he's going to work face. Scotty's out there with uh, Buff. Buff. Bagwell interferes straight away. No DQ. There's a chair shot straight away in the crowd. No DQ. I think two maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, another eye poke. Um, another inter- interference by Buff. No count out. No, there's no DQ. No count out. Um, there's this weird dynamic where Scotty's selling for him, so he's he's rough. He's rough. He's definitely rough, but um, he's not. Uh, but he's selling for Jericho, so it doesn't look like it's real any aggro. But it's back and forth. Who's face? Who's here? This is a very weird dynamic, and yeah. it's like, why would you put this together for no of reason? Stiffing each other, but but in a, in a way that looks cooperative. It's, it's it doesn't seem aggro though. I mean, it's physical, but um, that's in keeping with Scotty's gimmick and Jericho's. Actual nature. <laughs> yeah. Um, on this show, we get the mask versus hair challenge, done in a terrible manner. You get Ray and Conan doing a promo to start, where Ray talks about how when he came to WCW, he got respect from Kevin Nash and Lex Luger. 
But now they don't. Kevin Nash, who by the way, lawn darted him into a trailer yeah, when he first came to WWE. I, I didn't know that. Like, was that like two weeks after Nash's debut? Yeah. But those two weeks before. Oh, you mean when he was debuted as a member of the NW? Well, it wasn't called the NW no. then. It was just this man Hall and this man Nash. But clearly seen as someone to run amok where the big boys play. Respect apparently was shown. Well, maybe in the in WCW's world, it was a form of respect. You know, the, the, the way the way that all the sort of the backstage BS plays out here, maybe maybe that that's what Ray thought really was respect. Mm. And then Kevin Nash, Lex Luger and Liz come out, too cool for school to do their rebuttal promo later on, and completely laugh it off like it's no big deal. Kevin Nash says, is it going to be my hair? And he undoes his hair. Lex Luger, is it going to be your fucking horrible straw man hair? <laughs> and then they say it's going to be Liz's, and Liz just kind of laughs it off and, you know, what's me? And then just laughs because, oh, well, we're going to beat them. Yep, that's yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Goldberg then comes out and after everything that's happened to Bill Goldberg in the last six weeks he comes out and challenges Bam Bam Bigelow yep the guy who just beat up that unknown wrestler why? I, I, I don't have an answer for you I'm still wondering why bearing in mind the WCW guys clearly know where the NWO's locker room is and DDP's been in there I'd like to know why Goldberg isn't kicking the door in too busy challenging Bam Bam Bigelow apparently uh, in the main event Scott Hall beats Chris Benoit who had the pleasure of losing twice on one show yeah that's that's your uh, that's your WCW traditional group standing up to the red and black yeah well Kevin Nash interfered so there's, a, there's an out there the show ends with Hulk Hogan and Chuck Zito uh, walking up to David Flair in the gym and we fade to black no, David Flair goes into the gym goes into the gym they make fun of how skinny he is yeah like over and over again and it wasn't funny I don't know what the deal with Hogan and Zito was apparently Hogan like was really plugging to use him like frequently I don't know why there's no value there was Rodman not talking to him at this point I've no idea uh, apparently Hogan didn't want to appear in front of the live crowd because the show was in Minneapolis and he didn't want to be taunted with Chance of Jesse because <laughs> obviously the whole thing with can't the presidential thing can't happened. have the heels getting taunted now no. no that'll explain why they just laugh everything off uh, yeah indeed I, I sh- uh, and they don't um, yeah, we don't actually see them go in. They just get out the, at the, uh, get out the limo. Well, we assume it's a they, limo. Yeah, he, he puts a hat over the uh, the camera to end Zito they, does. Oh, they have a big talk down there about, yeah, actually, we don't want to film it because yeah. I guess, you know, we've got evidence yeah. then. And, and somehow this, what is presumably just a sort of standard camcorder, is able to, to filter into the feed at the arena <laughs> that Flair's watching in the, in the background for some reason. And he's like, what's this, Arn? <laughs> yeah. Arn, what's this? Telly, <laughs> yo bastard! I, th- I think what's this... wrong with this radio? <laughs> There's moving pictures on this box. I, I, fe- I feel it's sort of incumbent upon me at this stage to offer an apology. Uh, this ought to be good. Well, on on last week's show, I sounds like a WCW gave... apology. No, swerve. no, no, no. This is this is genuine. This is genuine, like my my love for sexual chocolate. There was I, I gave the impression to to sort of to the listeners and, and Kieran sort of um, called me out on this at the time that there was reason to have cause for optimism with WCW like things weren't great creatively but they they weren't they weren't like a full point behind in the ratings or anything they were still doing solid fives and you know if you still emphasised Goldberg correctly there were still useful building blocks in place where you could get yourself out of the corner you'd booked yourself yeah. into you know I'm not saying they could do it, but you know, there, there was a path forward. Your, your, your point being that it feels like we're only a handful of good shows away in a row of being on track. Yeah, we can correct course here and get get things moving in, in the right direction. 
I was clearly misguided on that. <laughs> uh, we'll see with the rest of these Nitro shows now that... Uh, and I mentioned this to the people who follow, who actually read my Twitter, all six of them, and I thank you for it. Thank <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the people... like them individually. Yeah. Actually, they get Christmas cards, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And birthday. Um, yeah, uh, the people who, who booked, filmed, produced, were involved with these Nitros in any way, for the most part, don't deserve to live. <laughs> some some may feel that's a harsh take I just feel it's brutal honesty <laughs> this this being of course as we said keep in mind the first meeting uh, between Nash and, uh, and DDP and all the rest are saying they need to be there to take these vignettes this is Nash's vision for what uh, wrestling is supposed to be going forward Stevie Wonder had a better vision <laughs> uh, let's get to the ratings Raw did a near record 5.7 rating to Nitro's 4.7 oh and there's that full point <laughs> <laughs> Over the head-to-head two hours and five minutes, Raw's margin of edge was almost a point and a half with Nitro only doing a 4.2 opposite Raw. It was never close, with Raw winning all eight quarters, scoring 6.0 quarter hour for, of all things, the Brood versus Minion and Viscera. <laughs> oh, Carl's reaction is great. And, and again, they did another one for the uh, Mankind Rock interview confrontation, as well as the last several minutes of the Triple H versus Kane main event. The low point came uh, with a 3.7 for the segment where DDP confronted the NWO in the locker room. Ah. (laughs) No stop high five for you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Scott Hall versus Chris Benoit in the main event did a 4.0 to Triple H and Kane, which did a 5.7. So a bit of a roasting there. Getting some notes about these shows. I guess with Samman on Nitro in his old role and no reference to the Raven videos from back in January, which we didn't mention on uh, the last episode of the timeline because they were fleeting, but uh, obviously it was... Jim. Yes, it, it, he was just Jim. Uh, unnamed Jim, his, his kind of stepdad or neighbour, it was never really cleared up uh, as Raven was going through his, uh, his house and kind of finding pictures of Roddy Piper oh, yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. Um, but of course, that's now I think of the past. Apparently there were people who didn't like the videos, Kevin Nash... Uh, and wouldn't you think that they would have previewed them ahead of time and come to that decision first before they aired three or four of them on TV and then stopped abruptly referring to them? Maybe they aired them live. Uh, maybe, maybe they filmed them live. Uh, Hogan also buried Raven and Canyon, uh, telling Bishop that those videos were the worst things he'd ever seen on television. Well, supplanted that claim uh, pretty sure. One, one week after be, this. Uh, there was a minor skirmish at the bar after Nitro between uh, Ernest Miller and Billy Kidman. Miller was behaving in his, a uh, toned-down manner of his TV persona, bragging about how tough he is, which apparently isn't that unusual. Kidman must have said something because Miller threw a punch at him, but it was quickly broken up. As much as I can find the, the cat insufferable at times, yet still comical on others, I'm, I'm taking him against Billy Kidman. I think he's probably got the edge. Yeah, I, I would. I, I'm, I'm picking Cat on this one as well. Mm. Uh, Goldberg was offered a guest shot on ER, but WCW nixed it because the filming was on a Monday. Ah, there is some heat over that because they don't book Goldberg on Mondays anyway most <laughs> of the time, and now they won't give him the time off when he has a chance to be seen by more people than have ever seen him before. So uh, there's your mainstream crossover, Bill. Was gonna play a doctor? That'd be great. Yeah, Doctor Bill. <laughs> We started the count on the last uh, week's episode of the timeline. We get, we're carrying on here. The WWF has now sold out 29 of its past 31 house shows dating back to late November. The company uh, is currently well ahead of any pace for the most successful year in a promotion in the history of the wrestling industry. See how that goes. It's only February, for Christ's yeah. sake. Other notes here. Dan Seven is on his way out of the WWF. Oh, no. On <laughs> his way? He's like, yeah. Seven was given a series of options. It was suggested that he do a shoot fight with Steve Blackman. 
which makes no sense in the confines of the WWF, uh, and he didn't want to do it because they were friends. He was then given the option of signing a contract release where they would give him a severance check as a buyout. Or he could remain on contract for the next year until it expires, but he would be jobbed out. He was pretty well doomed when he asked to wear the NWA belt on WWF TV again, which we've mentioned on the previous timeline. The first thing they did when they when they had him do that was uh, injure him with Owen Hart under the idea of making him a babyface and setting up a feud. But before they could do the feud, they then turned him back on Steve Blackman for no reason and completely killed him off. So yeah, Dan Seven in his grey shirt are leaving the World Wrestling Federation. Aww. Austin, Mankind, and The Rock will be three of the four men, uh, men featured in another set of TV Guide covers slated for March 22nd. The last wrestling one sold 300,000 copies above the TV Guide average. So uh, there you go, more, more wrestling in the mainstream because it's doing very well. Here you go, this will, this will warm up his heart. Apparently, the way the angle is supposed to work out in WCW is that Rey Mysterio Jr. will lose his mask and Kevin Nash will then bring him into the NWO as his little buddy. The second step may not occur right away, as at one point there is a plan to do a supposed singles match with an unmasked Ray pinning Kevin Nash, as silly as that sounds. <laughs> that, that'll never happen. We'll see where that goes. Howard Stern ripped on the Mark Henry Sammy skit on his uh, radio show this past week. He said it was ridiculous and shouldn't be allowed on a TV show Hang that, on. that young children are going oh, to watch. Well, Hang on. The, the dawn of good taste. <laughs> it, was, yeah, I was like, it was Howard Stern said that. Yeah. He's just jealous. He didn't think at first. He's just pissed off, isn't he? <laughs> He's just jealous. Uh, Raw is being preempted by the Westminster Dog Show uh, this week, so Nitro is actually going unopposed here on February eighth, and we'll see what they have lined up. Real barn burner. You got uh, you got all the Monday Night Wrestling fans who tune in a combined usually about ten point or so. Let's see what they offer up. This is a show filled with videos and vignettes in the new Kevin Nash guise of pro wrestling. Hulk Hogan tells every member of the Black and White that they are the new leader of the group. And it was all a secret. And he's laughing at all of them behind their backs because he tells the same thing to every single one. Apart from Scott Norton, I think. Uh, Norton's not there, is he? No, he's in Japan because yeah, that's the payoff in like two weeks' time. Yeah, the, the Norton comes back Sorry. and uh, he says, that you, yeah, kind of ships it off to Norton as well, I think. Um, the other set of uh, videos here, actually there's a number of them. A mystery blonde inviting the cameraman into a limousine and into her hotel room, which apparently is some big secret angle that may or may not involve Scott Steiner, is the rumour at this point. We don't know who this blonde is, it's never really acknowledged. She's talking to the camera like it's a person. We're supposed to be, we are the person that she's talking to. And she invites us into the elevator at the hotel. It's all very exciting. Lots of dead air. Yep, yep. she says that uh, she promises not to bite in the limo. I think, is the... The very last one of these, though, is the uh, it's the giveaway. It's the clue. Really? When uh, it's it's uh, isn't it? Is it when Scott the Taser and someone Scott no, gives next week? No, oh, is it? Yeah. Oh shit! They're jumping still, the gun. Fuck! There's, there's, there's still some time to go on that. But oh great! Let, <laughs> yeah, just, let it percolate. Yeah. We'll let, let you simmer on that one, listeners. Like we have to. <laughs> let it breathe, Kieran. I mean, a lot of things on Nitro seem out of place. So it seems a bit chilly for me to to sort of pinpoint th- these vignettes, but it's just. I'm curious if the commentators even saw them, because they don't, unless I'm forgetting something, they don't respond to them either. No. It was the Nash directive that he didn't want them to. Did they see it in the live arena, though? Did the, did the fans see it? Even that's, 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 that's a good question. It? I have absolutely no idea. Otherwise, it's just so sort of, well, the whole show, you know, Nitro is in general disjointed, but, you know, it doesn't help matters. No. Another series of videos to erase all the uh, videos on Raven that Kevin Nash didn't like were aired on this one. <laughs> and this one, I want to know what you thought about. This is the revelation that Raven is actually working everybody 
to annoy his mom, he's a rich, happy guy, and uh, they made Canyon like a naive foreigner, is written here. He doesn't have to say Versace when he takes me shopping. Versace. <laughs> but Raven, obviously, the whole point, Canyon comes in and he's, he's talking to Raven. He's like, oh, how you doing? How you doing? Uh, are, you, are you feeling down? And then Cam- and Ray- Raven, like, looks at the ki- looks over <laughs> yeah. his shoulder at the camera and says, what a mark. <laughs> he does this all the time. Yeah, I know. It's like a recurring thing. He keeps looking at the heart. Another camera that's there. There was a good one. At home. Uh, there was a good one when they went into the uh, the bank. I knew you were going to love that one. Well, obviously, because he gets $10,000 in $1 in bills. He's like, what are they for? <laughs> yeah, and he looks at the camera. Yeah, he looks at the camera and goes, what a maroon. Oh... <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> 10,000 big bills as well. Oh, oh my money, Canyon. <laughs> Raven. Yeah, Raven's yeah. great here. Of course, they go shopping. Can- you get the, the, uh, the thing where, like, you know, Canyon's wearing the different clothes and, you know, Raven's just standing there shaking his head and all that. Just complete goofiness. And it ends, the payoff is that WCW, yeah, his mom, WCW called, we go back to work. It's like, yeah, sure, mom. <laughs> That's your lot. That's your lot. That's what it's all about. Uh, let's see here another series of videos Eric Bischoff his role this week is to keep the bathroom clean with one annoying segment after another I especially enjoy the Larry Zabisco in the toilet oh. talking to Bischoff <laughs> you know when we st- we started these and we were talking about the um, the Bischoff te- the story telling technique the narrative technique of there's no real progression to the storyline. They kind of there's a real the sting line the sting build in particular there's a lot of rinse and repeat stuff each week this company can't tell a story. Save we, their life. We saw it with the dunk tank. Now it's the toilet. There is no narrative. There's no arc. It's just stuff it, happens. It's there. It happens, and then it stops. And there's no punchline or big build. It's oh, what was the? I think was the the payoff to this was they used a bucket or something. Yeah. So there basically, the, the last thing you see is uh, is Bischoff pouring something into the bucket, uh, supposedly to bleach the bathroom. Ah, yeah. And then of course Hogan comes out later on with the bucket so eh, which is kind of the recurring thing here is that Bischoff always finds a way to foil Flair and help the NWO um, let's talk about the wrestling on the show Rey Mysterio Jr. beats a debli- uh, debuting Blitzkrieg <laughs> that was quite uh, heartened to see hey Blitzkrieg's yeah. here his debut Eric Bischoff hated his costume thought it looked indie they look- well it did look indie yeah or pyjamas yeah pretty much uh, but an impressive showing here from Blitzkrieg good match here with Mysterio uh, Wyndham and Hennig beat Horace and Adams Ooh. in this illustrious tournament dire match I wrote down here uh, Rick Flair does a promo with Bret Hart. I, I enjoyed this story. Telling me how to defend the belt against Roddy Piper tonight, the returning Roddy Piper. And I loved it just for Rick Flair. At the top of his lungs, screaming for what felt like 90 seconds Hot Rod! Hot Rod! And then doing his little dance and going crazy. Oh, it's te- textbook Flair here. Um, Bam Bam Bigler does a promo on Goldberg, mentioning a recent USA Today article where Goldberg had mentioned. Had mentioned like an adopt a pet animal anti-animal cruelty uh, rally that he'd been to Goldberg then comes out and, and starts a fight with Bigelow so apparently that's what gets his goat <laughs> see what he did there yeah yeah, yeah. fuck over the streak no big deal take his belt and humiliate him in Atlanta alright you make fun of the fact that he loves his goats <laughs> and you gotta deal with Bill Goldberg yeah. Roddy Piper beats uh, Bret Hart for the United States title uh, on this show shit match shitty shitty match Will Sasso gets involved here, oh, your boy, who last week don't on Nitro... ever call him my boy! Who last week on Nitro got uh, attacked on the set of Mad TV by Bret Hart and put in the sharpshooter. He's in the crowd. Bret Hart attacks him, pulls the fat guy over the rail. They never say his name, <laughs> which is wonderful. It takes him a while, but they eventually do. Yeah, they did, well, yeah, they did. I'm sure they did once at the start. Yeah, but that's about it. He just pulls him over and it's like... It's not like one big outrage that oh, he attacks hey. this guy. Oh, there was a... Uh, hey, there's Will Sasso. <laughs> yeah. All of which should have babyfaced Bret Hart immediately. It did to me. 
and they? Yeah, absolutely. Match is poor. Piper wins. Piper looks really bad here. Like yeah. he doesn't have a whole lot to give. Yeah, this is a big. So were they planning on originally doing? It was Bretton Benoit. That's what it looked like. Yeah. And then when this week and last week when they changed it, so last week was like, well, it might be. Oh, we don't know who's challenging now. And yeah. then this week is like, oh well, uh, we don't know who the champion is now. Basically, they looked at the booking sheet, saw Benoit and Bretton said, "Fuck that, Scott Hall Piper." Yeah, and then yeah. So there you go. Yeah, but bearing in mind, Brett for his three million a year, this is one of three matches he wrestles this month. And uh, well, well, we'll see what his uh, win loss record is by the end of the month. <laughs> Indeed, we will. Uh, the main event of this show is Kevin Ash and Scott Hall going to a no contest with Ric Flair and Mongo. Uh, the finish has Ric Flair putting Hall in the figure four. At that point, everyone in the stands started looking to the back. Hogan takes a bucket, uh, the bucket we mentioned before, and took literally forever, not literally, Dave. Uh, to get to the ring. Uh, finally, he got there and went to throw it at Flair, but Mongo took the bullet, jumping in the way to protect Ric Flair. The Wolfpack comes in to attack Flair, but Goldberg's in. Spears Disco Inferno. Bam Bam com- comes in, and uh, Flair and Goldberg stand tall to end the show this week. Nice to know Goldberg's priorities there on the beatdown. <clears throat> what was it? I think it was piss. I think it was Steiner's piss. Steiner's toxic. Blue piss. Toxic steroid blue piss <laughs> in the eyes. It's not good. Mongo sold it forever. He's a, at the end, the closing shot, you see him writhing around on the floor holding his eyes like it's death. Fucking Mongo. This is the best thing he did in WCW, <laughs> I think, maybe. Who was... Who did Disco Inferno... Who got... After he jobbed, after he got his ass beat, um, or... By, by DDP. By DDP. Last week. Who... Was he put in a match with possibly the pay per view? Yeah. And they were big enough, he's on a hell of a roll. Booker at the pay per view. Booker, that, that's it, backstage. Booker's looking, he's on a hell of a roll, I'm going to take him out. And he's just fucking got his ass beat. Yeah. Easy by DDP. Made it look a fall. I also want to say, I can't remember which episode of Nitro, so I don't even care about the continuity. The opening match was Mike Enos versus Jerry Flynn. Fucking Enos. Well, Flynn <laughs> oh, gets a win oh, at some point. He does get a big W. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Oh, Flynn gets a couple because he beats San as well. Did you notice, though, that his physique is the only physique that actually looks like one of the old WCW dolls? Interesting. Yeah. Mm. I it, didn't, the Galoob dolls, yes. Insight here on SCG Radio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, is what you, this is what you don't pay for, folks. <laughs> Nitro, unopposed, did a 5.7 rating. The audience peaked with a 6.2 for the Flair Heart confrontation uh, and bounced up and down the little but finished pretty weak with only a 5.7 uh, for the uh, US title win over Brett and a 5.6 for the main event of Flair and Mongo against Hall and Nash the quarter hours were not a positive indicator of the new late, latest direction of WCW uh, that the officials claim will reinvent television wrestling the new concept is to run several different serialised storylines throughout the show the idea is the cameras are everywhere however the announcers only see what's going on in the arena so everything you see in the vignettes are secret backroom dealings showing you things that you aren't supposed to see some or all will then come together in the ring at the climax of the show Russo was taking notes, wasn't he? He was. He was thinking, "This shit is the shit." Yeah, this is. Yeah, this cuts out the the the, um, the, the, the chore. I'll call it a chore. You know, of commentators having to tell stories and you know progress the narrative. This cuts out all that bullshit and allows them to talk Tony, about. Tony Schiavone at this point was doing no favors for anyone anyway. Exactly, so. it allows them just to ramble on about the same NWO storylines throughout the show. Allo- uh, allow- allows Larry to elaborate on his golf game a little more. Exactly. Yeah. yeah but just. <clears throat> it's just much more convenient for everyone. Just, just think, think about this in the way that, and, and Meltzer references it when he refers to it as a disappointing five point seven. Yeah. <laughs> Disappoint. Just, just you know, think about that in the modern context. 
Vincent Mann would sell his kidney for a 5.7 Oh, absolutely. And, I, and I'm sure that you know Bischoff probably had ideas in his mind of how hot wrestling was, that he, he was going to comfortably do, do a six for the night, which obviously wasn't the case. It's maybe, maybe it's a sign of the waning, oh, not a lack of, because they're still in what you'd call solid numbers head-to-head general, or what would be, you know, in the modern context, would be considered great numbers in a head-to-head matchup. Um, there is a sense of their their star waning and the ability to draw people in waning by the sense of and it's a bit evident with the January shows as well you go from all, all the sort of people that you'd see in the in the, in the front rows at the night shows and all that sort of thing and then you go to Van Damme post like Street Fighter and Chuck Norris who probably hadn't done a film for about 15 years at that point <laughs> to then walk a Texas Ranger though, don't forget uh, true very true but well, he was before he was a novelty internet icon. Of course. Yes. To then go to Will Sasso. <laughs> yeah. As a sharp <laughs> boy, someone from week to week. Yeah. Indeed. As far as the Chris Jericho situation currently goes, he was at Nitro this week but told he wouldn't be used. There are rumours that he is going to be receiving a $750,000 offer from WCW, but to the best of his knowledge, he hasn't actually received the offer yet. Uh, it doesn't appear likely that the WWF will match that offer or even come close, but the WWF also has some obvious advantages when it comes to someone in Jericho's position. So uh, that is uh, the current lay of the land is these negotiations for Y2J. Uh, shape up just completely random se- wait, random segue it's got me thinking about Jericho's blonde hair and Triple H's you know follicle envy yeah test on the, sh- the last one <laughs> yeah. it's like you poor fucker <laughs> it's like Triple H must be fucking gurning away in the back at you yeah yeah another guy with a good physique and long blonde hair yeah he's in the crosshairs yeah <laughs> yeah he sure is Tony Schiavone talking about WCW's good relationship with the NBC on Nitro Mondays apparently because people in the company are going on the assumption they will be getting regular NBC specials after the NBA season ends we've not heard of any firm dates or any firm deal just yet however more on this as this ongoing story develops so they haven't learned the lesson from the uh, the NBA Cancellations and from, from previous, yeah. apparently not. No, no, common thing. Rick Rude has also been at the last two nitros, wasn't used, and hasn't been back since. There is some political infighting regarding the status of Bret Hart this week. <laughs> a booking meeting was held this past week with the original idea uh, to build to a Hogan versus Hart match at Halloween Havoc this year. At the meeting, it was suggested by DDP that Bret Hart put over Booker T, since Booker T had put Hart over three times on television. Hart felt that if the idea was to build into a match with Hogan, it wasn't the right time to put over Booker T, because it would only devalue the big match before it got there. Nash feels that Hart isn't over and shouldn't be built up for this match to begin with. Nash and Hart's discussion ended with Hart confused, (laughs) because all that was suggested to him was him putting people over, and Nash was mad because all Hart was concerned about was building up the match with Hogan. It wound up with Nash telling Bischoff that Hart wasn't being cooperative about putting people over, and Hart not understanding what it is that the company wants from him. The end result is that Hart was booked to lose the title to Piper right away, and most likely Piper will now drop it to Scott Hall in Oakland. You can see the internal conflict, because Bischoff feels the need to justify Hart's salary, and Nash feels he's overpaid, not over, and is looking to chop him off at the knees before they get any bill for a possible Hogan match going. Well, (laughs) this is WCW. What what more can you say at this point? It's just, it's typical WCW. Bret Hart is confused about what the company wants from him. And the book is saying the guy he's pissed off at a guy's not over who hasn't been used or on TV for <laughs> And now we're gonna job him out. He's not over. Oh okay. 
It's been rumoured this week that WrestleMania will wind up being some sort of a three-way deal with Austin Rock and Mankind. Uh, the way it appears it is being situated at this point, which of course can change, is for an Austin versus Mankind singles match with the winner going on to face The Rock uh, in the main event similar to WrestleMania 10. Uh, current plans are with Undertaker being turned back babyface it will be Taker versus the boss man hang on yeah we'll come to that we'll come to that there's a story story on this shortly about uh, the Undertaker and uh, the direction that they're going with him never a bloody babyface in my eyes no Road Dogg is expected to be checked into rehab this week and it's probably no secret to anyone paying close attention that the flip side of all this current media attention is the drug issue and it's going to be a big thing before the year is out if not before the summer says Meltzer uh, the WF did some drug testing over the past week and Road Dog went to management asking for help with his problems and therefore his match with Al Snow is now off the Valentine's Day pay-per-view effective immediately. And yet he still performs better than Billy Gunn. Yeah, well... <laughs> I know that it's, I know it's quite a lofty goal to outperform the best pure athlete in the WWF. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. The Giant officially starts under contract with the WWF on February 10th. He may also be held off because, due to his major liposuction that he had... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, remember last week? We mentioned that last week. He's been unable to train, so he's not in good condition. (laughs) Is that his excuse? (laughs) And he's still way too heavy. There's a school of thought there's no point rushing his debut until he's gotten himself in top shape. Or you've got an idea, boys, just a saying. Yep. So since so much is being invested in him, uh, when business is so great with or without him, there's no need to rush him onto the screen. So they've got to wait for him to be in shape. So, what's it been? 18 years? <laughs> He's there now. Start the clock. Indeed. There's a lot of internal heat regarding Sable these days. Both Sable and Mark Mero asked for their release from their newly signed contracts, but were turned down, as the WWF feels it's going to gain a lot of exposure from Sable's Playboy cover. Sable, Deborah, and China were on a TSN show this past week, and somewhere in the debate the working turned into a shoot and feelings on both sides were ruffled. The host asked China why she wasn't WWF Women's Champion. China said she wasn't interested in the belt and had never challenged for it, but if she did, she could beat Sable in two seconds. Sable said, since the two had never wrestled, how could she say that? China said because she was twice as big and twice as strong. Somewhere in Sable's comeback, she asked China what exactly she puts into her body to make her twice as big and twice as strong. China then brought up Sable having plastic surgery. Sable came back saying China would have more plastic surgery than anyone in the company. (laughs) A lot of the wrestlers sided with China and were negative towards Sable thinking she went over the line insinuating a drug issue. Uh, Sable and Mero have also made it clear that Sable didn't come to the WWF to be a wrestler and has never been trained to be one. Apparently she received a ton of money from Playboy, which gives her independence that she didn't have before. Which is where this all stemmed from. So China is on the outs. Sorry, Sable is on the outs. Thanks to China. China apparently went up to Sable after this show uh, had finished taping while she was getting to her car and said, just so you know, I could still beat you in two seconds. Just to kind of round the point home. Hang on. She pair said, of assholes. She said she could beat her in a work match in two seconds. Yeah. Okay. Uh, don't ask me. The Rock has been wearing a shirt, by the way, when he wrestles, because he just had surgery on his chest to remove gyno. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I just... The only thing that ever irked me... Well, I didn't. It was weird, because he's wearing a tracksuit. Was you could still see his trunks underneath. <laughs> that just annoyed me. Yeah. Let's well, just take him off, then. <laughs> yeah, if you got it. Yeah. Why bother? What's the point? What I want to know is why can he afford $5,000 on a shirt when it comes to his tracksuits he's wearing two stripes and not Adidas? I think it may be it's like Armani or Gucci or something. Oh, that put you in your place, Carl. That was, that was, that was strong. Oh, that, that put me in my place more than China did to Sable, I'll be honest. <laughs> 
In the talks this week, a couple of uh, humorous notes here. There is talk about eventually repackaging Brian Adams as a Hindu character in WCW. Apparently he does some sort of Hindu accent that is said to be popular among the wrestlers in the locker room. That does sound hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's no corporal crush, but it's something. It's not, but fucking... Hang on, let me think of something... Uh... Um, this might be a comeback to for the end yeah, of the I can't. also in the thoughts there continues to be locker room rumblings in the WWF over payoffs not going up despite such a strong increase in business over the past year wrestlers received their survivor series checks last week and that added fuel to the fire the supposed worst case scenario downside guarantees with only a few exceptions are turning out to be exactly what wrestlers are on pace to make despite having one of the best years in the business ever for the WWF Wrestlers can't figure out how McMahon can afford to buy a Las Vegas hotel, tear it down and build a new one, but not increase their pay above the downside guarantees. The Rumble payoffs uh, for most wrestlers were below uh, $15,000, with some well below 10000 for a show that did record business. Vegas hotel? Yeah, but they bought like, the Debbie Reynolds Hotel or something like that. They bought like a random hotel hmm. and they were going to do something with it. I think they said they were going to knock it down for an angle once. But it never happened. In- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Steve Austin. Like Austin yeah, no, yeah, no, no, that was the idea. Yeah. Austin the Wrecking Ball was the plan. The, the Austin Deconstruction Company before its time. This is a good one. A name to look out for is Brock Lesnar. <laughs> a junior at the University of Minnesota who is currently ranked number two in the nation as a heavyweight wrestler. He's been one of the most talked about wrestlers in the country this season. Lesnar competed recently in the National Dual Meet Championships and pinned every opponent in the first round while compiling the best record of all the heavyweights. Dan Gable, when doing the TV announcing, remarked that Lesnar looks like a good prospect for the WWF. Might be right. He might. Mm. He might. I think he's onto something. We move now to February 13th. It's a Saturday Night Raw. Uh, this is the one that didn't go head to head but it's, right, it's one day before St. Valentine's Day Massacre it's at the Toronto Sky Dome 41,432 fans the largest crowd for any individual show in the history of the Monday Night War here uh, just an awesome visual to open the show when the, when the lights come up and you see so many signs the amount you can, you can barely see the people past the signs it's, it's just it's and it's, it's something we touched upon before with, with Raws but obviously on some such a larger scale here it's that that sort of that vibrancy that sense of energy you get from the crowd whereas you know WCW still just feels very well it is, it is stale it's not a question of feeling it but you know you sort of they'll, they'll do their pan to the crowd and everything but it, but it all seems quite sanitised in comparison whereas you know with this it's you know, almost frothing at the mouth people rabid excited and you know you've, you've seen it play out in those monster pops that Austin gets Having said that, though, and they do start that way on this show, but I thought this crowd died on this show. I thought that they were interested for because this is the show. I'll talk about it now. But um, Austin versus Mankind is advertised to happen on this show, but it doesn't happen. Vince is the referee, gets attacked by Mankind, which leads to an Austin versus the Corporation Gauntlet match, which goes on last. And I thought the crowd was so dead for that Gauntlet match. Considering it's Austin versus the Corporation, I thought the they, the crowd wasn't as hot for Austin or anything in general, but. Austin's our fucking benchmark here. Um, as like previous weeks in general, I thought they were quite a, I want to say, stodgy crowd. Apparently, there was a lot of fighting in the crowd oh, on this show. Crazy Canadians. A lot, a lot of drinking, a lot of fighting. Apparently, um, they're, they're known for their violence. Those Canadians. They are. Real, yeah. real aggressive country. So they stay neutral because otherwise they'd be picking wars with everyone. And the Gornet itself, I think, what were the rules? It was, it was so fucking slapdash. Wasn't it just guys running in? Yeah. The one guy would run in and help another corporation guy. So the other guy would get DQ'd. Yeah, so there was then, never a pin. So it's his hit turn. The stunner and somebody else would come in. It was like, is it a match? Is it an angle? What's going on? So for the live crowd, if you don't know what's going on, it's uh, yeah. I can see why what the fuck is this and yeah they minor you know 
pop when he was over and he was celebrating and stuff, but they weren't into it because I think, yeah, that just, it wasn't a very clear. It was like a WCW fucking yeah, it really presentation was. of an angle. Very, very sloppy main event here. Also on the show, Ivory debuts as uh, Delo's gift to Mark Henry, I suppose. <laughs> Mark uh, Henry doesn't need gifts, Mark can get whatever he wants. <laughs> we saw what he got in January so if I was him I'd be thanking my lucky stars for this, you know, this I, I can't remember what week it was but if you want to know something that and again uh, this this it wasn't for me and um, talk about negative perception of wrestling I think it's, so Dilo comes out at one point and they're talking about the angle and then I think Jackie and uh, Tor- Terry, Terry come out yeah. and out of nowhere Jerry Lawler the heel commentator goes skank it's just like that. It just leaves it. It's like, what the fuck was the point in that? It's just that's Russo all over that. You just, yeah, just, uh, uh, yeah. I thought Jerry Lawler was actually pretty insufferable this month when I watched this stuff. Back. I thought I, I, I felt a real turn in. I don't know if it's because he's overcompensating because with Cole or something, but the amount of times that he would cut in in promos in between lines to just add stuff like that mm. that added no value at all, other than just you throw something out there because you got to fill you got to fill all dead time. I hated that and Lawler was really annoying about that this month also on the show Battle Venus and Ryan Shamrock are making out Ken Shamrock arrives and beats him up good on you Ken uh, Billy Gunn <laughs> this is what I learned after. Ken Ken's the uh, older brother he knows best because he's the older brother yeah it's like yeah Ken Shamrock's wacky nerdy <laughs> jock charisma was never capitalised on him I think no they never got the most out of it that they could have uh, Billy Gunn arrives and says he'll be the referee on Sunday he's got the uh, the the small Shawn Michaels rip off shirt this is because no one wanted to uh, no one wanted to ref the match because Shamrock had gone crazy plenty of times in the past Billy Gunn says he'll be the referee oh and then by the way isn't there a match later on when Ken Shamrock's wrestling and there's no more referee in the ring yeah yeah of course course. yeah fucking wonderful storytelling there well the refs have only said they won't ref on the Sunday what's the difference it's the Sabbath it's God's day (laughs) oh my mistake uh, Goldust versus Gilberg yeah ends in a blue bath from the blue meanie old star cast here in this segment <laughs> that's right the lights go out and Goldust has to pour, pour, pour blue paint all over himself yeah indeed he does Godfather versus Viscera oh. ends with no decision when Midian attacks the Godfather they announce Bossman versus Midian for the pay-per-view sounds like a winner <laughs> <laughs> and you wonder why the crowd was dead by the end <laughs> They are apparently going to do a major program with the corporation versus the ministry because the idea of turning the Undertaker heel has been dropped because he got cheered at every house show they did in the last week, which is what we mentioned before about Undertaker being babyface for a thing with against the uh, the corporation. So they're going to try and make babyfaces out of Midian and Viscera as well. Quite proxy. Yeah. Yeah. We've we've talked before. (laughs) Well more specifically about WWF television obviously because they you know I don't want to give the game away folks but they win the war <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't want to spoil that for you so, so hopefully you tuned out just before I said that but yep. they win the war so we always tend to look at it through the, through the prism of, of WWF and we always, talk, always talked in general about how the 1999 television really doesn't hold up well you know, out, outside of your Austin and Rock <laughs> And this is a prime example of it, you know. I, th- I think these shows in general this month, and we'll get to the rest, but, you know. Between Nitro and Raw, 
it makes the numbers they were doing even more astounding. That's the thing. When we were watching back, usually, especially for the last year, 98, I thought was really enjoyable. We watched every month, and God, the show's so fun, so much energy. You're watching this, this February especially. This is the worst month of television we've done in a long, long time, I think. Yeah, I mean, even... And maybe I've got slightly more rose-tinted specs about uh, 1997 than other people have, which you know, I, I can understand, but... I can watch stuff from Raw in 97 and, st- and still enjoy it now. I can watch it back now and, and still find it entertaining. The stuff with the Heart Foundation. Austin's still great. Sean's great when he's there. You know, oh, I can find enjoyment in all those sorts of things. These, you know, Nitros have felt like a, a slog. Some of these three-hour Nitros. But the Raws aren't, aren't easy to get through for this month either. Not at all. <clears throat> Not at all. Uh, speaking of... Alton has a hardcore match with himself because no one wants to wrestle Alton I guess Bob Holly comes out from the job squad and turns heel on Alton and Alton starts attacking him and kind of being belligerent to him Bob Holly just starts fighting Alton this is of course the make good for the fact that Road Dogg won't be at St. Valentine's Day Massacre Alton needs a new opponent Sparky gets the call so we get Bob Holly's anus we do (laughs) yes The Rock pins Steve Blackman on this show good hope it was quick (laughs) Rock does get a great reaction here. Yeah, there's. I still. I thought the you talked about last time that the the, the face uh, still look, and he's starting to play it more this week. Yeah, he's, this this month even. Um, but it's still overwhelmingly Rocky. So there's one in particular. It's just, it's a superstar reaction. It's not a heel or face reaction. It screams of kind of elation and rejection at the same time and you don't know what it is until they start chanting Rocky Sucks I guess it's the women were cheering for him no but, it's, but it, just in general it's that sense of excitement isn't it it's like it's, a star is here yes yeah it's, it, I think it's something that uh, one of the one of the guys in one of the WWF produced books um, touched upon in, in their autobiography this sense of you know the, the musical hit for, for a certain level of star and you will get that initial buzz from the crowd just in general before it then filters through as to how they, they choose to react to them. Main event of this show, like we said, is Steve Austin running the gauntlet against the corporation. Doesn't really beat anybody, it's all DQs until the end when the boss man does a number on Austin and Vince McMahon gets the pin. Which, he, he's screaming at Hebner to make the count, I don't know why Hebner was reluctant. Again, this is one of those things where the crowds eh, start throwing garbage in the ring at the end of the show. Very uncharacteristic for the WWF. Yeah, but we're in Canada. We've got to have a screwy finish of some kind. Yeah, and there were, there were you screwed Brett Chance going on here as well, and you couldn't ignore him, even on this uh, taped show. Yeah, Sean wasn't on this show, was he? No, he was not. Um, but you do get the scene at the end where they put Austin in the corner, and, and Vince is screaming in his face. Brilliant, which is yeah. A great, great, like, 30 seconds. It's the, it's the go-home image for the pay-per-view. It's the um, this whole segment was set up just to have this one visual yes yeah. Austin uh, trapped in the corner obviously he's not conscious he's there given, but he's, he's, he's trapped in there Vince just wonderfully in his face all moxie and bravado he's got a face at one point yeah because obviously he's got his boys there holding him back and it's that, it goes off close up on the two of them you know inches apart screaming at each other yeah reminiscent of uh, the Sean and uh, Austin stuff pre Mania 14 yeah. was. and it's that yeah it's great great visual to uh, go home for the pay-per-view like, and then it's like Austin McMahon uh, in a cage this Sunday or whatever it was so, yeah. Yeah, good stuff um, but I mean the actual angle didn't make any sense but <laughs> the, the angle made no sense but you, you did come away from the whole show and again there's nothing really to this whole show but you came away with the feeling that Austin and Vince big deal I, I was actually a little bit disappointed in the sense of considering it's the go home show 
you could have done like you know I guess this is before the days where you would do something like this but a video package to explain like, show everything that's happened to build up this epic it's finally gonna happen the cage match you, you don't need to do that because you can do that on the pay-per-view that people have already brought <laughs> yeah exactly but this wasn't even head-to-head with Nitro you had the luxury here where you, you don't have a turnout factor as much with another wrestling show at the same time you could have if you wanted <coughs> taken the time to tell that story better and I was uh, a little bit disappointed they didn't in the UK obviously both the Raw and Nitro did in fact air on the Friday so as it turns out we ended up getting this episode of Raw before America did um, ha! Roy, <laughs> Raw did 400,000 viewers to Nitro's 300,000 so again big numbers for both but Raw with the edge uh, on February 14th Valentine's Day in prime time when WCW was supposed to have its first NBC special, mm. while there was an NBA game on in the afternoon, from 8 to 10pm they aired regular programming. Mm. Something is really fishy with this story, <laughs> says Meltzer. When the whole NBC thing went down, NBC never confirmed the story, but everyone in WCW was told buildings were booked for dates over the next year and booking plans were formulated. The WWF always claimed there was no deal. The NBA strike was settled. WCW said it meant the show wouldn't debut until after the NBA season. We never hear anything about a deal or plans made for a debut show anymore, although WCW does regularly still kiss up to NBC on its broadcasts. Hmm. I don't want to sort of steal from Kieran's bit here with the conspiracy corner, but... Um... Go for it. Your, you, your name begins with a K too, so it still works. Indeed. It's all about the alliteration, Carl, that's all. Mm. It's interesting, I think, I think I've mentioned this on previous Timeline podcasts, how I thought this whole arrangement was a bit strange, <laughs> because you know, NBC and, and the whole association with Viacom and Raw being part of NBC Universal. Vince and Dick Ebersol. Di- Vince and Dick Ebersol, I always thought it peculiar that they would even entertain the idea of WCW being allowed on NBC television much less the idea that WWF wouldn't challenge it in any way so what's the conspiracy Carl is it that Tricky Dicky may have uh, fed him false information oh yeah we'll have you on book, yeah, book your buildings and then him and Vince are chuckling in the corner let's, let's just uh, yeah I like that you know god knows we've seen enough pettiness during this Monday Night War and we were back and forth lawsuits you can just picture Vince you know in uh, sort of the, the peak of his powers if you're like let's fuck with him a little bit <laughs> let's just string him along Get me, get, get me Dick's number. <laughs> Sable got into a heated argument with Luna Vashan in the cafeteria backstage at the arena before St. Valentine's Day Massacre on pay-per-view. Luna began cutting a promo on both Sable and Mark Mero, who was out for a little while longer after elbow surgery. Uh, Mero eventually put his hand in front of Luna's face to signal he was tired of her talking. Oh, pie-faced her. Jim Ross intervened and walked Luna away from the scene. Uh, Luna's husband, Gangrel, was sitting right next to Sable and didn't do anything while all this was going on. Luna threatened to bite Mero's face off uh, during this argument. Um, it does also say here, expect Mero to be brought back after WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, apparently they want him to do a uh, Johnny B. Bad gimmick in his return. <laughs> Will he be wild? <laughs> That's a winner. That's a winner. <laughs> Money. Let's put it in the maybe pile for now. Yeah. <laughs> St. Valentine's Day Massacre on pay-per-view. 19,028 fans sell out the building. A 1.2 buy rate for 415,000 buys. Paul White debuts on this show. How is he looking after Lipo, Liam? Well, let me tell you, Carl. He's a fat man. He looks exactly the same as when we saw him on Nitro. You wouldn't know like I thought he looked a little slimmer. I, but he's in black. Well, that was my, that's why I explained it away at the time because I, I forgot about the, the lipo. Um, he's fat. Why did they fucking debut him here? Unless because he looks a fucking mess, doesn't he? His hair, hair, it's, it's not even him. It's not even him. He's uh, just. 
there's no plans for him. So obviously there's no plans for him. You throw him out there. He's, he doesn't fit into the storyline, into, into any of the storylines. He needs to be a monster heel, but if you position him as a monster heel alongside Vince, that fucks up. You need to, he needs to get heat. And obviously, going into Mania, this isn't the stage where that, that stage for Austin and stuff. Um, it just he should have been kept. Should, and obviously, what happens is he ends up he flip flops. They tease it and he flip flops. What comes out of that stage? But he should have. He should have been left off TV till after Mania. Isn't yeah. I, I I agree completely. And and the strange thing about it was this sense of it's not as if Vince had teased anything to the best of my recollection in the build up to the cage match. He didn't. He didn't talk too much about a surprise, did he? T- you know, tell me if I'm if I'm. Off he just said that you, he just says to Foley that you're no to Austin that your world will never be the same again or something. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that's that's vague enough. You're not promising a big debut or anything, are you? Really? No. You know, you can you can get you can get away with that, and no one's no one's buying the pay per view on the notion that the big show is going to debut. So it's completely unnecessary. If if you if you're insistent on bringing him in, why not do it on the why not do it on the Raw afterwards? As a reaction to Austin winning the cage match, but even then, it's uh, it's short sighted. Don't get yeah, me wrong, yeah. but at least you can, you know, it makes more sense. of shit, he's still <laughs> going to Mania. He's beat Vince in the cage. I need. I'm desperate. I need a roadblock. I need something to stop him getting there. Hence, the Big Show. Yeah. Well, they tried to backdoor that, didn't they? Why he'll be the special guest ref, and that's like, yeah. It's like, okay, but Austin's still winning. So you make him, even if he just stays here and he fails, he's a failure. He, he failed on his first day. He failed on his first day because I mean, he's a dumbass. He yeah. throws Austin through the cage. He so hard. Yeah, basically, obviously, he's still a cage match. Vince and Austin. Man takes a real stellar bump off the cage and lands right on the edge of the commentary oh, table. Oh, you just the, the, the way it just sort of half good, and half. Yeah, sort of kind of buckles a bit before breaking noise you see the impact of the spine yeah the body jolt yeah, yeah. <laughs> you really love that bit. especially after the whiplash on the bottom <laughs> rope last month he's, he's not he's taking not, it this way he's, yeah. he's not made for this chasing the chicken doing the weights he's taking his lumps yeah so obviously yeah, obviously, Vincent just gets the shit kicked out of him uh, hot, you know, holds up the double middle fingers to try and lure Austin back in a desperate man trying to do anything to keep him out I like that story I do too but why didn't the big two just appear as soon as the? Well, whatever. <laughs> anyway, it's just the they had. It's just the fact that they sign him. It's not a, a, a quick thing. It's not like the radicals coming in. It's a you know quick turnaround. Yeah. Come up with something. Oh, they we, knew we, we will get to how long this was actually in the works in a minute. Really, it's okay. very interesting. But it's obvious they had no they had no foresight or plan for him. Um, he was if you're gonna, if he's going to be the monster heel, then you can't put him in positions of weakness, which were planned. It has to be because Austin's winning. Mm-hmm. Um, he just didn't fit into the storylines because as to get the heat for for. for for Vince's back, it's this. It was just there was no foresight, no plan, no, and it, it was abundantly clear from the very first night when he shows up because they, well, I guess they thought they wanted to for whatever reason, whatever the rationale was, they wanted to, and then it was still a fuck. He still ju- murked himself off, <laughs> picked him up, threw him into the cage. Cage breaks. Austin wins. Austin looked kind of ajar mm-hmm. in the ring, but there's Vince crying on his knees. His big show, the fat failure that he's just paid a million dollars a year to, has <laughs> fucked him royally on his first night. And they know, and they knew it was shit because it's never referenced again. No, from from that night on, it's yeah. But, but this, that one incident there it speaks to how convincing Steve Austin is. <laughs> how oh, wonderful, how wonderful his facial expression really is. Serious. That people, I think to this day, still genuinely believe that that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> you think so? I, I I know people. Really? I know people who think that that wasn't that wasn't how it was supposed to happen. Do they host nitro parties back in the day? <laughs> <laughs> I can't confirm that, but they may be involved in spring breakout. 
Well, having said that, the uh, WWF Championship is not decided on this show, as it turns out. Last man standing. Oh, it goes down well with a live crowd. A draw. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> a draw? Last man standing, and neither man's left standing? Fuck off. It's a theme here, isn't it, of matches being put together with no finish insight when they actually put the match together. Probably till show day by the time. Yeah. It? Yeah, yeah, again, week to week, we yeah. talked about this before. Shit show, otherwise, I felt. This was, this was a bit oh, of a chore yeah. to get through. Gold as blue dust. Is a horrible opening to a pay Yeah, yeah. We t- we t- we criticised WCW for um, not exactly coming out of the blocks. Strong. <laughs> yeah, the uh, WWF deserves some criticism for that one. Bossman Midian. On Where was show. the show held? Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, okay. Um, at the pyramid. At the pyramid, and there's an interesting note here. And obviously, uh, if, if you recall, a ways back, there was a plan on this show for too much to have a gay marriage uh, Brian Cushman and Scott Taylor Vince wanted to happen Lawler was against it because it was in Memphis Brian Christopher outright said no to the gay wedding idea for too much at the pay-per-view he got his way but it will likely eliminate any chance he and Scott Taylor have of getting a push any time in the near future but uh, yeah again the, the pay-per-view with big stuff happening don't get me wrong Austin's going to Wrestlemania White poor white debuts but really yeah again he's named Big Nasty in a week or two isn't he the deal with Paul White was put together back in December 1996 hang on a full year over a full year before Luke of the Bushwhackers was an intermediary uh, with the deal to avoid contract tampering uh, helping set up White's agent with McMahon the the sides agreed back then to a 10 year deal at a little under 1 million dollars a year fucking hell yeah that's how long they had to think about what they were going to do with him and that's what they did they didn't want him by that point then yeah who knows they, always said the, uh, they didn't want him by that point it. Think, think how bad WWF business was at the tail end of the 96 we've all heard the story about the company in the red Vince taking out loans to keep him afloat the the notion of maybe retreating and going back to some sort of regional promotion which I think was always overplayed but, of course it was. but you know there's the, the clear chronic weaknesses and trouble for the company are, are self evident so you imagine how desperate he would have been to agree to a million dollars at that time? Ten years, a million dollars a year. Yeah, by the time it comes around, they, he didn't want him. I bet, well, the thing is, I bet he did, just because... Why is it wrong? Who does it? Well, yeah, yeah, and he ended up having it pretty damn fast with Big Show, didn't he? But when you think about, again, the perception game, which is a lot of what this is about, this is the one of the first big steals of, the, oh, of yeah, a top absolutely. WCW guy from the WWF since this has all started so uh, very interesting but yeah that whole buyer's remorse thing we'll see how that plays out because I think that's, uh, that's going to be a bit of a theme with Big Show throughout the rest of this year to be quite honest moving on to the next night we're head to head Nitro and Raw February 15th in all capital letters in his review of Nitro Dave Meltzer wrote this new concept is a loser <laughs> I can't express just how screwed up this company is right now. This may have been the worst episode of Nitro in history. It was bad skits for three hours and lifeless masses for the most part. We'll get to the worst of these skits. Now, for those of you who watch this on the network, there's an edited down version of this show due to technical difficulties. So only, I think only about two hours of this show is on the network. The full three-hour show, which I've been privy to because I want to watch it, fucking hell. We'll get to the, the worst part of it coming up. But anyway, first of all, Kimberly Page thrown out of a car by Scott Steiner. That was great. That was awesome. So, Steiner is still brilliant. Oh, no. He's the best guy. He's, He's the best thing on this show by so such a distance. It's ridiculous. Um, as soon as... And, and it's all on DDP. It's DDP's fault. Yep. Scotty, he's being polite. He's talking to the lady. He's, 
he's not getting handsy he's not getting aggressive he's just you know reminding her that she needs him which is accurate DDP jumps him starts hitting him Innocent Scott eventually Innocent Innocent Scott he gets away from uh, DDP's clutches and jumps in the open car door which is just hilarious (laughs) and hightails it (laughs) and turns the car around spins the car around A-team (laughs) styly. launches towards the camera the door open and then someone looking like Kim in a winter outfit comes flying out the door and uh, rolls over and uh, it's good stuff Scott Steiner brilliant man and a rare appearance from um, David Crockett really? Yeah. I didn't catch him yeah he was the one was he saying to he, he's the one saying to DDP don't touch him really? all the while I'm sat there praying for Nikita Karloff to just appear on screen <laughs> I don't care how shit Nikita Karloff was, I will love him forever for the clothesline on Dan <laughs> Excellent reference. Um, of course, the theme on this show, Bischoff, is Ric Flair's limo driver oh. and drives it right oh. into an NWO trap. All the NWO guys wearing masks beat up Ric Flair in the most horrible looking fight scene in the history of television. It should have been titled A Bunch of White Boy Jabronis Trying to Do Bad Kung Fu Theatre. They beat up Flair for 12 minutes straight. Ric Flair threw the single worst punch of his career on Hogan to start this thing off. Hogan punched him something like 400 times and every single punch looked terrible. (coughs) It was filmed by a helicopter with a spotlight. We've got to talk about this is the worst angle this month. Easy. This, this, this is awful. I mean, actually, it might not even be the worst angle. It's compounded though by the commentary and the the, because, lack, of the lack of commentary. Because oh, no, not, not the lack of commentary. I'm talking about the commentary throughout the rest of the show. Yeah. You know, when they turn up, and Flair turns up, and no one's got a fucking idea. Yeah, they have no idea what's going on. He just says he's smashed. He's smashed. <laughs> yeah. Flair's stumbling, falling over. They've noticed his face, so they're trying. They, you know, these fucking Sherlock Holmesian commentators are saying, "I think he must be in a fight or a car crash or something." You know, we've already had the NWO turn up with ski masks, which bamboozled yeah. the commentary okay. as well. well that's, that's brilliant. A, but that's First a, of all, hang on. We got to backtrack here. This is fucking crazy. Which is, we know he's got flair in. We see the two jeeps coming up behind. Yeah, we cut to the, cap, the, cut to the helicopter, helicopter shot. Can. These two, these two hummers are they? Or I think the hummers. Yeah, are. hummers. And then some bikes as well, possibly. You can't really see what's going on, but it's, something's going on. Yeah, something's going on. Rick Flair's with like two or three lawyers in his limo or something like that. I think they're execs. Exact. Yeah, yeah, whatever they are. And then you hear like the, the door opens and a man in his ski mask with a notable blonde moustache <laughs> peeking through the mask says, "You need to leave, brother." <laughs> <laughs> I wonder who this master assailant is. One of them's got like an NWO like logo on their yeah, shirt. Oh, Hogan's got the fucking weight belt with NWO <laughs> on it. Kevin Nash's ponytail sticks out the back of his yeah. skin. Yeah, well, <laughs> Kevin Nash. Yeah, yeah. Stealthy Kevin Nash. <laughs> it gets better. It gets better. Flair comes out and he starts talking about how oh you couldn't wait till Super Bowl and then like like we say horrible punch he throws to Hogan. It's slow motion. He goes down. Kevin Nash at this point takes his pipe and starts throwing it from hand to hand to try and, you know. He didn't, out- know, he didn't know which hand he was going to hit him with. No. How to outfox Ric Flair. And then at that point, everybody just swarms in. All the mask guys beat up Flair. On the network, this goes about half the length it does. It goes on for fucking days. It is so bad. They start, they, they take their masks off. Why? 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 Why?
They take Buff takes his mask off, Stevie takes it off, Nash takes it off. They're, it's awful. It's, they're, they just, they're all joking around and beating up. This goes on for fucking days. The helicopters are there with the spotlight shining on the angle, showing that there's guys filming it with a camera. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, but, but to compound the misery of all this, it's not as if Flair's just being beaten up by the quote unquote elite. Fruit Boot is there as well. Yes. The B, B team members are representing. Yeah, I, this, oh, this is hurgid. hideous. Of course, we cut back later where where some guy in like a truck just drives up to Ric Flair's body, which is in the foreground. Yeah. And it's, all, a, it's okay, Boss Hogs rocked up. Cleus <laughs> is in the back. They'll get Flair to the building. You can't really see what's going on as well. It's really poorly lit at this point, obviously because the fucking helicopter's fucked off. And all you hear is these like orgasmic groans by flare from time to time because he's in so much pain from this beating I'm saying oh. <laughs> it's so bad I, I thought it was horrible. just his third wife asking for another arm <laughs> also on this show we get skits from Tori Wilson wrapped in a towel still talking to the camera don't know who it is yet it's a winner um, Bret Hart beats Will Sasso great <laughs> Great. There's there's Brett's one win for the month. <laughs> Indeed. And like doesn't like a co a co host, I can't even write her name down. Yeah. Attacks Will Sasso with a chair. Yeah, I Brett just, couldn't even win this clean. No, but I, I just naturally assumed that afterwards Brett took her in the back and just threw one in. He had jungle fever, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, that's Brett, that's Brett all over. Hogan challenged Ric Flair to a match. <laughs> of course. <laughs> You're right, mate. <laughs> Of course, uh, he knows what the deal is with Ric Flair, but nobody else does. The announcers don't know that Flair was beaten to death. See, we at home see everything, but these lame-ass announcers, who've been castrated badly enough to be complete fools, now only know what's going on during the matches. Who, uh, Roddy Piper came out instead, and they had a negative star match for the only real world title in wrestling, which dates back to 1905, back when Hogan and Piper had their first singles match. <laughs> I think that one ended with an NWO running too, as did this one, says Meltzer. Salty melt. Uh, this is a, and it deserves it. This match oh, is horrible. Of course it does, but you know, Piper. Remember the, the spot in this because Hogan's in the ski mask in this match. He's in full regalia, and Piper at one point just kind of like gives him like this. Kind of like, I don't even know how to describe it. He's kind of like puts his balls on his neck and drives him down to the ground to start punching him. It's horrible. You know, at least you're going to tell me that that Flair's coming in now. You know, wielding you know, the 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 handle off an axe. Yeah. And he's gonna he's gonna run off the end of you. He's gonna he's gonna get his heat back. Well, before we get to this, okay. of course, okay. Scott Hall zaps Roddy Piper after Piper loses the uh, loses the whole thing. Obviously, the end of running. Uh, Hall puts on Piper's kilt and starts prancing around. Hogan chances Flair again, and this is the point where Flair falls out of the turnip truck, grabs a rake, and keeps falling down. Um, the whole NWO uh, Ric Flair finally makes it there he keeps falling down this takes ages for him to get to the actual ring he keeps falling and falling and falling on his way through the crowd wielding the axe handle bloody revenge is going to take place he gets in the ring Benoit and Malenko running for the save and all three of them get beaten up <laughs> all three of them get beaten up later waste destroyed fans shank Goldberg there is no Goldberg uh, we then cut backstage to the scene you were talking about to end the show, Kieran. Bit of intrigue. Scott Hall is now talking to the camera, who we're looking at from a first-person perspective, gives him the taser to end it, and says, you've seen how it works, now it's your turn. The credits ran, says Dave Meltzer. At that moment, I woke up. Pam saw Bobby in the shower. The whole last year never happened. Hopefully they can start from scratch next, next week and pretend, like I am, that it was all a dream. Except they apparently think it was great television. They'll find out when the ratings come in. <laughs> <laughs> Great bit of a... He's got so, a hot pen this week. He's, oh. He is. He couldn't be stopped is, this week. He is not happy. He was not happy. Let's talk about Raw. 
One night after St. Valentine's Day Massacre, we start with a very big conference. It's Shawn Michaels, it's The Rock, it's Steve Austin, it's Mankind, it's Vincent Mann, all talking about the lay of the land as we are obviously shaping up WrestleMania. The main event for tonight is made. It's a ladder match. Mankind and The Rock finally settling their score for the WF Championship. And uh, at the end of this, as you mentioned, Paul White introduced as the uh, referee for the main event of WrestleMania. Austin's a sure thing, now we know that. So uh, this roadblock has been put in place. Big Show lumbers out with a no gimmick needed t-shirt on. Jarrett and Deborah versus D'Lo and Ivory takes place and Deborah breaks a guitar over Ivory, which uh, got quite the reaction here from this she's getting baby face. face. Yeah, she's getting face pops when she comes out now. Well, yeah. they aren't. When, when it's the weirdest thing. This is the most popular Jeff Jarrett's ever been at this <laughs> yeah. point, by the way. Yeah. Struck gold here, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> There's a confrontation setting up Triple H and X-Pac versus Shane and Kane, where if uh, Shane's team won, Shane would get the European title, which did in fact take place after China helped Shane hit X-Pac with the belt, and Shane McMahon is your new European champion. Yeah, singles titles change in place in tag match. At least the champion got pinned by the new champion. Yeah, I... I, I <laughs> Small I, win. I, 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 you <laughs> it's, gotta, the little, it's the little victories, Kieran. You've got to take them where you get them. I hate singles titles in tag matches. It's one of my pet peeves in all of wrestling. This one didn't bother me so much in the sense that, again, it, it fucked me. But why couldn't you just do the... I guess you couldn't do it because that's the WrestleMania well, that's match. Well, that's and it's changed, so it's, it's heat on chest. Yeah, I understand it. Yeah, and, and let's, let's face it, you know, as much as I bemoan the idea of titles as props, this really is the European title, <laughs> and it hasn't meant anything since D'Lo surrendered it. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, Val Venus dumps Ryan Shamrock, because obviously she's a problem. Uh, Billy starts talking to her later on and Ken Shamrock beats him up as well <laughs> I love Shamrock he just beats him up on the on the, uh, the anvil cases backstage <laughs> woman problems with Scotty and Ken yeah. <laughs> Steiner hitting on Ryan Shamrock that's what we needed that oh was... that'd have been money that'd have been money the Undertaker and the Ministry started their new mega push to feud with the corporation the Undertaker in his big promo said he would soon own the WWF so this is the first real big ministry uh, impact we've had so far on Raw and they're still entertaining the idea of um, babyface taker apparently so there is no faces and heels at this point they're, they're in their mind they just throw shit out they put and, matches together and, yeah, and, and for the audience when it comes to this storyline there are no winners <laughs> there are only losers is this the first time taker refers to a higher power oh it's one of these weeks is it, or is it the next week who, ca- who cares he, he does it two weeks I think Ooh, I think this yeah this week he, f- he mentions it in passing and then it's much more emphasised the week after I think yeah <laughs> he's just a drizzling shits <laughs> Bob Holly beats Steve Blackman in a hardcore match and afterwards Bob Holly does a promo on bad gimmicks and bad partners which leads to the return of who's that guy doesn't seem to know <laughs> oh it's Bart Gunn it's Bart Gunn with a haircut alright how you doing Bart good to see you again after the brawl for all Bart the hammer gun the hammer gun yes don't forget that Butterbean was shown by the way in a hilariously ominous precursor of things to come <laughs> um, say, oh, of course that's a, to set up a match next week here on Raw Bart v Bob 2 because Bob didn't get knocked out in the brawl for all and that's a hook apparently Sable comes out as a cocky bitch heel where everything has gone to her head in an angle with her superfan Tori uh, obviously inspired by real life <laughs> it's, it's pretty much the yep. lay of the land here uh, Bossman, Test and Ken Shamrock wrestle the Acolytes and Midian in one of those matches that just end when the Ministry take Shane McMahon to the Undertaker who gives him a letter and says give that to your old man oh yeah at, least, it, at least it's not the DOA it's about all uh, I can say small victories small victories it's all I can say yeah um, 
I didn't realise uh, the ministry was supposed to be faced at this point. I was thoroughly, thoroughly confused. <laughs> I, I was just assuming it's just heel versus heel. Yeah, yeah, that's why I heel, heel. died like a heel heel match. So. Exactly, all heels. You get the the scene where the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, the bodyguard from Rage Against the Machine, test, and the big boss man, personally paid enforcer of Vincent Man, can't get past Christian Edge and fucking Dennis Knight. Oh, and and the acolytes, I suppose. But, you know, come on. Yeah. Come on, guys, put up a fight. <laughs> fucking losers. Where's that fucking nightstick you always carry around? Yeah, I don't know what the deal here was. Uh, obviously, it's all just dressing because the main stake of the show is The Rock winning the WWF title in a ladder match from Mankind with help from Paul White, who chokes down Mankind off the ladder to end. Steve Austin is on commentary uh, throughout the course of this match. He's, just, he's super enjoyable and obviously comes in at the end and gives The Rock the stunner to end the show when uh, Rock wins, so... Yeah. I think at one point he someone's on the outside and they're like gesticulating towards him so Austin just stands up it's like beyond the country table he stands up like shit's gonna go down and like the place just erupts explodes and it's like oh fuck yeah it's not like they weren't watching the match but they had one eye one and a half eyes on Steve just in case because he's gonna do something (laughs) in the palm of his hand (laughs) okay so we've talked about this big show here on one side it's Rock it's Mankind in a ladder match for the WWF Championship on the other side it is the hideous brawl with Ric Flair the ratings are in Raw did a record 5.9 to Nitro's 3.9 wow that's right it's gone down (laughs) almost a full point well before before you get into sort of the the minutia of it can we just backtrack and go to the last number where they were head to head can I just hear that one again okay the last number they were head to head obviously the week before they were not the last number when they were head to head was 5.7 to 4.7 so in the in the preceding two weeks they have managed to lose another full point they haven't haven't lost them to WWF no they've just disappeared they've just stopped watching that's Nitro. the thing you talked about the shows the format of the shows there's such now an incredibly different feel to both shows yes I, to, I was hoping someone mentioned this yeah I mean, obviously the, the and it's not a wrong or right well there is a wrong or right <laughs> one was fucking dying in its ass but the point was one feels flattered for a long time they were serving it was the WCW was that kind of the pure it does feel pure or cleaner but then it's muddled with all this other shit almost WWF tendencies in their clean format it just doesn't kind of work now and on the other side it's full ball for college kids and people we just don't give a fuck and at least it's tight tight formats different different uh, styles and uh, yeah abundantly clear they're not going in they're not jumping shit they don't want to see that shit if they wanted to see it they would jump shit to the other company and that's what the other what the other point of doing they just fucked off they've just stopped watching think about that from a 4.7 to a 3.9 but Raw's rating only goes up by a 0.2 like you say they've just driven off people absolutely awful the biggest whitewash in the history of the Monday Night Ratings (laughs) and the Raw number was the highest rating either company has ever done in a competitive situation WCW went into its own version of a panic attack with morale hitting rock bottom everyone was pointing fingers everywhere as when the ratings came in nobody could any longer pretend that this new concept of pro wrestling television featuring bad mini movies the announcers live don't see was any kind of success in the UK just for the, uh, the ratings here Raw drew uh, 350,000 viewers to Nitro's 260,000 uh, WCW basically gave this show as a favour Har- by Harvey Schiller to George Steinbrenner because it was at the Tampa Fairgrounds. Steinbrenner then didn't even show up for his own show and instead attended the ESPY Awards that night. Steinbrenner's people were then mad at WCW complaining about the quality of the show. In specific, because Goldberg wasn't there. 
Rumours. Is, is that the same week that he could have been filming the ER scheme? <laughs> yeah, he's not even fucking there. He wasn't there last week, was he either? Uh, oh, no, no, no. Was there, was same there. week, sorry, same yeah, week. Yeah, it was there previous week. But yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Rumours were flying to make WCW morale even worse. As the story went, at least as believed by most of the wrestlers, there was a booking meeting on February 16th in Tampa, and what was said was to have been plans to bury certain wrestlers, in particular... Bret Hart, Roddy Piper, Conan, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, Raven Canyon, Jericho, and Bam Bam Bigelow for various reasons. Hart is in the middle of a game between Bischoff, who wants Hart versus Hogan, and Nash, who thinks he isn't over and wants to job him out. Benoit and Malenko have been called the Vanilla Midgets, and are clearly uh, being programmed in a manner to make sure they don't get over at all. It was Nash who got in Goldberg's about killing the uh, Jericho program before it ever got going, pointing to Jericho's size, and at this point there is a lot of fear that Jericho will jump when his contract expires in July if the WWF gives him an offer even in the ballpark of WCW's. Bam Bam Bigelow didn't get over, and there is still a lot of heat dating back to 95 with Nash. Piper has a big name but is seen as having nothing left and it appears that Conan has an underlying issue with Lex Luger who has become a close Nash ally for various reasons which has Conan in the doghouse politically. It's also clear that everything done over the past two weeks has been done to kill Flair. There is also finger pointing among the big three in power, Hogan, Bischoff and Nash. Diamond Dallas Page, while still having power based on being friends with Bischoff, is clearly losing ground both when it comes to popularity and a reputation that his booking ideas are usually only for himself and his friends rather than spread across everyone. Bischoff has missed several recent television tapings. <laughs> concentrating his time of late on working in Hollywood, where Jason Hervey is shipping him around as the golden boy who saved wrestling. <laughs> There are many in the company who think Bischoff is devoting more time to non-wrestling activities to create a safety net for himself to save face and jump off if the ratings start to fall. Those close to Nash claim that he considers this like the Vietnam War, an unwinnable war, because even though he's been given full say on most aspects of television, he has little say so on the main angles which involve Hulk Hogan. Hogan is still seen by everyone as making WCW his personal vehicle for whatever he wants to do to get over and holding down younger wrestlers who can work so the style on top stays easy enough for him to hang which unfortunately dooms the company because the public has switched to WWF in droves largely because of weaknesses in the WCW product due not only to their weaker storylines but the perception that it's an old man company. Nevertheless, among the wrestlers, Nash seems to be taking the brunt of the heat with a belief that the new WCW version of the clique Nash, Hogan, Hall, Luger, Steiner and Bagwell are going to be pushed and protected and with the exception of a few others like Brian Adams, Disco Inferno and Perry Saturn nobody is going to get a chance for elevation at all. The Torch adds to this and writes, Wrestlers are complaining about Nash's management style. When approached with a complaint his standard response is to tell whoever it is that they aren't a team player. <laughs> Nash is also telling people that contrary to popular belief, the WWF has a deeper talent roster because the WCW only has five guys that he believes can work and he is claiming that Scott Hall is the best worker in the company. <laughs> That's a lot to take in, isn't it? That's it is. For Kevin Nash. Even for Kevin Ash, Nash. That's a very, very special statement to make, isn't it? <laughs> Has he watched Raw? <laughs> We've talked about it. There's puddles with more depth than that, Ross. <laughs> so this is it. In in, in the fallout They've of so many guys, Goldberg's not even on TV. <laughs> in the fallout, Kieran, of the ratings bottoming out, an emergency meeting call in Tampa. Everybody's pointing fingers everywhere. Nash is just scorching the earth with the guys he wants to bury, blaming all of them, and then saying there's no depth. Isn't that great, though? Yeah. Isn't it great that? from the very first sentence it's like 
we're not going to look for like solutions. We're just going to look for scapegoats. Uh, amazing, amazing statement. I like the Vietnam reference. That's a good one, though. Yeah, yeah. and winnable war. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this is the this is the point where the the companies have done the one eighty now, haven't they? This this is WCW is now the WWF of, of ninety five and ninety more well, so ninety six, I should say. This this company is now going into meltdown and they're flailing around like an angry drunk. <laughs> Possibly, you know, Scott Hall. So <laughs> <I drink. laughs> I mean, why? Why drastic? And it's funny because I mean, we talked about this last week. The finger poker doom taking a lot of the blame for the quick deterioration of the ratings, which, as it turns out, didn't happen. And now, as we've seen, this new what has actually done more damage is this wacky new television approach, which is so far removed from what people want to see that people are just tune out in droves during the show. Well, it's, and it also coincides with the complete downplay of Goldberg straight, yeah. straight away as well I exactly that. cemented this week yep and again that- forget about the NWO Nash guy no 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 no. Hall and, and, and Jesus didn't even mention Nash has he no. Nash and Hogan he hasn't got no. that far up the chain let's go back to Bam Bam yeah go back to Bam Bam and that's on the weeks that we can be bothered to have you on the show yeah that's true it's just I, I, what I will say is I, I don't want it to come across that we're downplaying the finger poke of doom because it's terrible it's a terrible idea and obviously the fans in Atlanta clearly weren't happy that night. What it does serve to do, it eliminates that goodwill, doesn't it? You know, even if people aren't turned off in droves, it, it's still, it will still sour their perception. And then because of that, it's not going to take much more. And um, we found out what the breaking point is. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a business built on expectation and um, intrigue. And... They were fucking swimming in it when they when they started the NWO, and they did do for years. But I said last week, it's the same old thing now. There's, there's no, no there's intrigue. no intrigue. There's no suspense. We know what's happening. It's the same shit. There's no payoff. If it is, it's a half-ass payoff. Flair's got Hall in the figure four, and the audience are turning to the entranceway. Yeah. Um, don't play Goldberg. Flair. Uh, I, I appreciate his enthusiasm in the build-up to the Hogan match, but I thought he was a caricature of himself. And even though he was over. Uh, so I'm probably wrong in saying it, but can he, Flair's a caricature, caricature of himself, and he's the main event. Ba- he's your main event babyface this month. Uh, well, we'll see. Obviously, the pay per view numbers are about are going to come in when the uh, the show takes place. However, we were talking about where's Goldberg. Here's your answer. In yet another example of one of life and wrestling's most perplexing moments, WCW told Bill Goldberg to go on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno on oh, February 19th and issue a challenge to Steve Austin and then fail to follow up on their own idea for this major grandstand angle. Goldberg himself didn't want to issue the challenge to Austin, feeling it might make him seem like a star beneath the level of Austin publicly, which, although he is, isn't something WCW should do since he's still the most marketable wrestler in the company. It was the idea of Bischoff and Nash who ordered him to do it and as usual wasn't very well thought out since the original idea was for Goldberg to challenge anyone in the WWF. When it was over it was clear it came across as too weak and did nothing for anyone involved. Anyone. He's so desperate to be on their TV I'll fight anyone. Yeah. Give me Gangrel. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take, I'll take uh, Count Chocula. Oh, uh, apparently Midian can do a half decent number these days. Throw him into this. Nash. This is fucking great. Nash has also told Goldberg he's working on this back door building to some kind of a deal he's hoping to put together where he and Goldberg will do a work shoot angle with Austin and Ken Shamrock. The fuck is he talking about? <laughs> Feeling the Is he gonna be on NBC? <laughs> Feeling the where's, in- Hold on, where's Matthew Perry's involvement? <laughs> 
could they be any more desperate, Carl? Feeling the interpromotional aspect of this will get the world thinking it was real and it would become the biggest thing in wrestling in years, particularly with Shamrock's name involved. And, every, and eventually, they turn it into a worked fight when it took place. Hey, hang on, how's, how's, that, how's that leap going to happen? How he would go about pulling this off is anyone's <laughs> guess. <laughs> what in the fuck's going on here? Flailing around like an angry drunk. Panic, panic, panic. <laughs> like, and then... When we all go in 2003, we'll actually do the match. <laughs> oh my god. This is just what a disastrous week this has been for WCW. My god. Oh. <coughs> at, at this point, at this point, I think, not so much Hogan because he doesn't care, but it's like Nash and, <laughs> Nash, Nash and Bischoff of Thelma and Louise in the car. <laughs> they're driving straight for the edge of that canyon. <laughs> and they're convinced they're going to make it and be okay. <laughs> No, I don't, I don't think they're actually on the edge of the cliff yet. They're actually, I think they're looking on like Google Maps to look for like a place to drive off, but like a nice soft landing just in case. So <laughs> there's got to be somewhere in that desert where they beat up flat. Too cold. Scorpio was fired from the WWF this week. He was still employed. He'd been in and out of hot water since he started with the company. At the 1997 WrestleMania, he had a domestic dispute at the hotel, which resulted in the police being called, and it was a black eye for the WWF since everyone and their families come to WrestleMania. <laughs> when he missed the show with no valid reason in Colorado Springs a few weeks back, it was no surprise he was let go. He's pretty much looking to get fired, as it seems. But yeah, just as a, a little memoriam here, poor old Too Cold. I always had high hopes for him in the WWF. Yeah. Even with a flash funk gimmick, I thought, you know what, he could still pull this off. Look past the funk gimmick, the flash funk gimmick. Oh, I loved him as Scorpio. I loved him so much as Scorpio. Marcus Alexander Bagwell got a thumbs up for me yeah. at the same time, too, <laughs> by proxy. Disappointing. Yeah, very disappointing. It was the hair. As soon as he came out of that straightened hair, doesn't work. Looking like Cat Williams. Oh, yeah. February 21st, it's WCW Super Brawl. <laughs> 15,880 fans sell out the building a 1.1 buy rate for 412,500 buys. Just coming a hair short of Austin McMahon in the cage, believe it or not. Fine, caricature Rick Drew. <laughs> <laughs> the show was largely decent from a work rate standpoint, but it was clear going in that finishes were designed more to bury potential stars than elevate or create new ones, which is exactly what WCW doesn't need these days. Benoit and Malenko, Rey Mysterio Jr. and Conan, Piper, Flair, and probably both Goldberg and Bigelow all came out worse for wear on this show. Since DDP booked his own finish, he didn't book it to kill himself, but not understanding how the audience changes, he did himself no favours either. Uh, obviously getting a job down and stretched out by a, after a Scott Steiner beating didn't result in a lot of sympathy for DDP. More people kind of into, into Steiner kicking his ass here. Who wants to see Scott uh, and Kim together? It's a match made in heaven. Yeah. Freaks. Yeah. Freaks together. Uh, but it was, I will say, it, it came across as a very sort of heelish crowd to me. Yeah. Um, also on the show... Rey Mysterio Jr. loses his mask. It is, of oh, course... The gravity with which they, they played this really tugged at the heartstrings. Okay, well, let's, let's set the scene before I let you... I'll, I'll set up you knock this one out, Carl. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> so anyway, my, my verbal faux pas there notwithstanding, <laughs> it's actually Hall and Nash who do the match because Luke's got the torn bicep. So Hall works twice on this show and goes over twice, by the way. <laughs> Funny how that works. Um, they win the match. Rey Mysterio and Masks. Take it from here, Carl. Well, they really play up the, the emotion and the, and the seriousness of, of all this. Um, Heenan doesn't help on commentary by asking you the little points <laughs> or, or words to that effect, basically emphasising how young he looks and 
generally looking hideous. <laughs> no, 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 that's that's, that's not. It's not I'm, I'm, oh, that's so, what, what the, sort of the impression Bobby's given. Not not what I'm saying. I, <laughs> horrendously racist for a second. Was <laughs> you expecting? Well, I am an old man. <laughs> um, I'm stuck in my ways. Uh, but at least you know Nash. Nash saves the day. Oh yeah. Nash. Nash saves the day. That commentary could have killed it. But Nash, you know, tear welling up in his eye, you know, cheeks are puffed out. He, he always he does the Vince gulp, you know. Actually, no way he doesn't do any of that, does he? <laughs> no, he doesn't. Okay. Doesn't do a single thing of that. He. <laughs> what he, does he say? Uh, well, he he again plays up the idea that Mysterio is hideous, begs him to put the mask back on, <laughs> and then tries to fit the mask on himself. Yeah, it's like a swimmer's cap. <laughs> Uh, it's just, but then I'm not. I'm not exactly sure Ray does himself any favors. Getting out of the ring rather than just walking away solemn, just to walk down the aisle, high five. Well, slapping hands with members of the front row. It's all just a mess. It's all just contrived. Hall goes over twice, and no one's sure why. Well, I don't know oh, why. <laughs> oh, oh, over Piper, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> to... Oh, that mass was awful. Yeah. That mass is so bad. Yeah, it's just this. This show is just a. This company's just a mess. Why? I'm not going to limit it to the show. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't. That doesn't. That doesn't accurately reflect the scale of the problems. I, I, I thought the show was infuriating. I watched the show back to get a, a, a vibe for how it came off. It came off so awful. Hogan beats Flair in the main event when Toy Wilson comes out and David Flair turns heel on Rick, joins the NWO, and then starts kissing Toy Wilson. Hogan gave Flair nothing in this and the, the crowd was dying for Flair to get something and when he does he gets a little bit until the fucking stupid finish David turns on his own dad being whipped by the NWO a month ago but hey we've got a, we've got a hot model who's uh, luring him so there you go yeah. David Flair is now in the new world order mm. N-W-O <laughs> loser <laughs> Oh, yeah. He's not just in the end of it. He's in the Wolfpack. He's in the Wolfpack. Yeah. He's in the A-team. <laughs> he's part of the elite. Mm. He is. That's what Scott Norton's uh, Adams, and all this crew are striving to be. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for the, uh, for the Nitro where he goes toe-to-toe with Goldberg. <laughs> in a perfect fitting metaphor for this show, Scott Hall was run over after the pay-per-view was over. <laughs> Good. He was outside a bar and kind of fell down. <laughs> Where's Ben? <laughs> Where's <laughs> those, are those big days were? I know yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. yeah, Where's Benton? A WCW employee didn't see him behind him and backed out and heard a scream. <laughs> Benton stopped the car, which was on top of Hall's ankle. <laughs> hey yo! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Steve Austin was on the Howard Stern show on February twenty second and was asked about the Goldberg challenge. Austin tried to blow it off by saying that Goldberg was wrestling in the minor leagues and he'd be glad to wrestle him if he came to the WWF, but blew it off for now. He also tried to dismiss Goldberg as simply a copy of himself because of their similar black trunks and shaved head looks. Luckily, there was so little interest to all of this, as apparently most fans could see it for what it was, that it really didn't matter what Austin said in response. Austin did also reveal that he was getting divorced, however. He claimed he'd never cheated on his (coughs) wife and said the divorce was 80-20 her idea. When asked by Stern why they were getting divorced, Austin replied, Jesus Christ, you got me, ask her. <laughs> that 20 sounds a bit tenuous then. <laughs> the next night, after Super Bowl, February 22nd, we go to Raw first. Paul White is introduced as the big nasty I wrote down here. Uh, which, what a shitty name. 
I always thought this was kind of allusion to like Big Sexy on the other channel. Mm. They did the thing where Bishop had said that Nash was the NWO corporate giant I was... as, as a mock uh, bash on, on Paul White. Mm. So I always thought this was kind of a tit for tat. I was thinking it was more foreplay with Mark Henry. I just I just think of Big Big uh, Big Tasty which was a, a McDonald's burger for a while <laughs> which more Paul, appropriate yeah. which Paul White probably had plenty of exactly, indeed yeah. the company has suppressed upon White the idea of dropping weight actually to blow 400 pounds eventually <laughs> start the clock like you say Carl we've, um, I feel like we've seen this before with Vince yeah, yeah. he and The Rock argue in the ring this is the uh, this is great. make jokes The Rock's ass he teasing teasing some kind of dissension between Rock and well yeah it's like they're both teasing little face uh, things Rock's just marvellous so this this starts with Big Show saying something along the lines of him being the biggest star or something like that obviously you allude to the fact that he's enormous said said uh, yeah said uh, he helps beat Foley on his own that's it and then Rock takes exception to that it goes back and forth with like little what do you mean by that and obviously Rock just goes off on one with his tie rake on the 500 pound bag of monkey crap uh, Rudy Poo over and over again. Yeah, who is Rudy Poo gets a lot of play this time. This these, these last two months, he's getting it over. The difference here, like Vince, is not in control of this situation. This is the difference between Vince and the NWO. Yeah, entirely. I love this. I think Vince sells is great. Vince will always show his ass as not being in control, and then the dastly ways they've got to come overcome that. In general, we're not talking about Paul White the night before here, but <laughs> he's. He'll lose control and he'll do something dastly desperate to get control back, and then he'll gloat about it. It's beautiful. So there's that opening of opportunity for an Austin to take advantage and, and get his shine back. Completely unlike the NWO and Bischoff, who are always in control, laugh and joke about everything when they get attacked in their limo by the horsemen or challenged by anything. People. Anything. There's, you, you get they, no. You, they don't get ruffled by anyone. They're, they're always in control, and if they're not, they laugh it off and fuck it. Everyone forget. We'll just turn it around next week anyway completely night and day and that's that optimism that bit of hope that yeah this motherfucker's going to get his he will get his eventually he'll, you know completely different dynamic it's, mm. just, it's night and day when you watch the two heel groups on the two shows Vince is great selling Rock's lines here with big bug eyes and then no 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 to the big show beautiful. really fun stuff here uh, Mankind comes out and suggests a match between Rock and uh, Paul White with him as the ref Man, uh, McMahon doesn't want it but the guys themselves say yes <laughs> the way this is going by the way <laughs> <laughs> Public Enemy debut. Fucking hell. <laughs> Against the Brood, and I've written down here, look like shit. They looked so fat. So they looked fat. huge. So slow. I So sluggish. I was just... I will say I was relieved. I was expecting you know who to pop up at some time. Tell the me. other fat waiter. <laughs> Thankfully didn't, so... Yeah, no, no, the, the, the uh, Public Enemy get a bloodbath here in their debut, so congratulations. Well, <laughs> well done, lads. Welcome to the big leagues. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, and there's, there's a bit of that, actually. That might be a sidebar. Some of these acts like Blue Meanie from ECW coming in and just looking fucking terrible and just completely out of their depth on the, on the, on the, in the big leagues, like I say. They, they don't have Paul's smoking mirrors anymore. No, they do not. Uh, Billy Gunn versus Ken Shamrock for the number one contendership to Val's IC title ends in a brawl with Val Venus. Uh, on the show so to uh, kind of carry that storyline along Sable does another heel interview on Tori and Luna comes out and turns babyface on the premise that she isn't pretty she's not pretty like uh, Sable is and all of us fans out there aren't like you <laughs> <laughs> alright then Sable laid them both out with a belt so there's your winners there's your baby faces. <laughs> Paul White versus The Rock takes place and of course it's a swerve and they both kill Mankind the referee 
Yeah. So when I talked about Vince not being in control, it's probably not a good example since it was a swerve. But in general, you get the gist. Okay. We do. I'll just say that now. Yeah. He, he's, he's willing to play up the yes. frailties. He, He'll show his ass. He's, even if he doesn't end the show in a weakened position, he's willing to appear vulnerable. And regrettably, we we see more emphasis on that with the corporation and the ministry stuff. But uh, oh, but, but yeah. But at least he's willing to look weak. Whereas the Bischoff stuff with Flair that I've talked about, which I don't, I don't mind as a concept, but it's poor in execution. Bischoff it does it in such a blasé and sarcastic manner that you can never buy into it. Absolutely. Um, Goldust beats Val Venus thanks to the Blue Meanie. Great. So I guess that's him inserting the IC title picture as we head towards WrestleMania. Bart versus Barb in the hardcore match surprisingly enjoyable yeah, two kind of bland form- guys they've this wonderful formula last month that you've got bland shit guys whack them in a hardcore the hardcore gimmick is over Yeah, people just go crazy when they start brawling in the, in the crowds which if you've ever been to a live show it's shit because you can't see anything, can't see anything. Anyway. but it's novel for this time exactly so yeah it's good, it's good. plus there's, uh, there's enough kind of stuff that you could do for the first time that was creative here that kind of uh, made it somewhat interesting a masked guy this doc <laughs> Yeah, but, this is what we talked about before the new yeah. gimmick that they had in store for him was someone who had endorsed uh, Japan and was had turned his back on America. The he even got the fu- I didn't realize when it, the, the, the the tape around his fingers. It's like, yeah, fucking hell. It was exactly it's just as Bush League. Yeah, amazing. We <laughs> <laughs> learned nothing. Nothing. The mask looks fucking awful on this. His head. He starts fucking waving his arms around. <laughs> like he's doing karate. <laughs> What's he doing? Yeah. And then, and then of course when he thinks the camera's off he just walks like yeah. Bart <laughs> yeah that's brilliant attacks Bart here and then throws him off the stage through a table which again novel big bump here from Bart Gunn off the stage through yeah. a table gets a pop gets a pop the masked guy was not identified as Steve Williams although the previous week on Memphis TV Doc was wearing the same mask and said he'd wear it until he won the WWF title Given the way this gimmick looked, he's going to be wearing it for a long time. <laughs> uh, X-Pac beat Chime in one minute to get to Shane uh, for WrestleMania. Of course, Triple H is the reason why, given uh, China the pedigree in the ring, uh, and X-Pac gets the pin. The main event is Undertaker versus Kane in an Inferno oh, match. God. Bobo <laughs> makes an appearance <laughs> here. <laughs> Vince McMahon's personal teddy bear, we may we surmise... Uh, was it? I, of course it's not in the I end. I assumed it was Stephanie. Yeah, this, is, this leads to Stephanie's introduction in the end. Of course, uh, this ends with Kane's foot landing in the in the flames, getting set on fire. Undertaker, and I hated this, takes the bear, burns the head, and Vince crumbles to his knees and shakes his hands and do one of those horrible acting jobs that, you know, Vince thinks he's like on, on fucking daytime soap opera television and it's really awful. It's Vince in his awful element here. I thought this was fucking horrible such cringeworthy bullshit no Steve Austin on this show by the way and this is what you get when he's not there <laughs> it's fucking ministry so everything is just shit when they're involved <laughs> absolutely everything it's the reverse Midas touch Taker's fucking insufferable the touch. you know it's a shit group with shit wrestlers <laughs> it's just I can't emphasise I don't think I can realistically convey how much I hate it how much I really really cannot stand it it stinks to high heaven it's just you know fucking Bobo the Bear was much less insufferable when the Simpsons were doing it it was Mr Burns of course and you know mark it mark it down people what day we got here February February 22nd 
That's the beginning of the introduction of Stephanie McMahon, as if I need to emphasise it any more. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things that when we were talking before about WCW and, and, and the kind of the, the domino effect that's been created by possibly the finger poker doom and what's come since, that thing here of you can do a bad show you can do a bad angle and it's not going to make what's down the line they've got something else coming exactly it doesn't make the world of difference because they know what's coming and then this I mean fuck me it's this ministry stuff I mean how if if Warrior in the Mirror is considered this big deterrent how is the Undertaker slushing how is the Undertaker slicing his wrists to drink you know pour blood down Midian's mouth well at least that's you know you could do that not that dying he cut across the anyway <laughs> it's more realistic than Ultimate Warrior in the Mirror <laughs> the levitation's not but that didn't work so no yeah. cool. <laughs> over on Nitro the same night February 22nd going head to head with Vincent Mann's teddy bear Nitro changed its format slightly although it still had a lot of the camera is everywhere skits but now the announcers are allowed to see what the viewer at home sees Hogan put Scott Norton in charge of the black and white since he's returned from Japan here so this is that language you were talking about before Scott Stein does a great promo challenging Bill Goldberg <laughs> main event tonight Goldberg Scott Steiner go ahead Carl <laughs> please no no I want to hear your take on this photo shoot conversation oh for fuck's we've, we've talked about this de-emphasising Goldberg yeah and we referenced the idea that DDP walks into the locker room Bill Goldberg doesn't nope Goldberg's in the arena fans chant for Goldberg to come out and attack the NWO Bill Goldberg doesn't. He's got to worry about Bam Bam Bigelow. But, you know, they've taken it off the ball there a bit creatively. You know, but the Bam Bam thing's been put to, put to bed. You know, that, that issue's been resolved. Goldberg can, you know, maybe cut promo or something, emphasising about the, the distraction, and, you know, now he's going to be focused, he's going to tear them all limb from limb. Or, you know, you could do that. Or, you can have Goldberg post what appears to be the cheapest shittiest photo shoot <laughs> have Scott Steiner just walk into the room them jaw a bit back and forth and Goldberg just say he's got a big mouth one of these days I'm going to shut it for him well ironically enough Bill you will tonight in the main event that's already been advertised <laughs> and it might have been an idea whilst, Gold, whilst Steiner's there and you're furious because of what happened about the belt and Nash and being beaten down one of the individuals being Scott Steiner in the Georgia Dome you might want to just charge towards the fucking door and beat the shit out of him. <laughs> there is. There is said anything about his animal rights feelings, though, Carl. So well, he hadn't, uh, yes. hadn't pushed the buttons. Yes. No, okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. But unless the Nitro girls have wandered back from whatever college dorm they're at for spring break out with Ricky Rat Face oh. Fuck or whatever his name is. <laughs> You know, or they, or they, you know, they come off the bruise cruise that they keep fucking hyping. <laughs> you know, unless, unless the Nitro girls are all there in a line for Goldberg to spear in another manner, then there is no justification for him not walking away from the photo shoot and killing Steiner. You got me. I got, I got no defence for this. This is fucking awful. Also, he goes back to the pose when the door closes. <laughs> He's gone. Let's get back to business. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Oh, he's swell to disappear, doesn't he? Does <laughs> <laughs> that shot look great on ER. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That's the, that's the music for the show. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Also on the show, funnily enough, wouldn't you know it? Booker T pins Bret Hart in a damn good match with a very hot crowd. But yeah, this is the uh, SummerSlam 92 finish here from uh, Booker pinning Bret. 
Also on the show, Rey Mysterio Jr. pins Kevin Nash in 2 minutes and 40 seconds. Squash? Yeah. I think here, this segment came off way better than I thought it did when I watched it at the time. At the time, it was like, huh, okay. And then, of course, years afterwards, it's often maligned as, oh, slip on the banana peel, it's all horseshit. It doesn't come off that way. Right. No, no, it, it works. Not one bit. Ray, Ray Nash is a dick, you know, cocky, whatever at first, easy beat down. Ray makes his good comeback, and Nash is jolted. Nash gets serious, goes for the powerbomb, and Ray fucking gets him in the position to pin him, and Nash sells it like he's genuinely upset, pissed off, humiliated. This comes off really, really good. I, I know that this is like a, probably not a popular stance to take. I thought this worked. No, I, 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 I agree. I just, it, it's almost as if. I hate to play the idea of you know big wrestler, little wrestler sort of thing, but with a with a we've we've seen a terrible contrast in that with something like when we've talked about the reviews, Kidman and, and Hogan, oh, and how they just don't mesh. You know, Hogan is, is the the big muscular baby face, Kidman's the, the scrawny heel, and it just it just doesn't work. They don't they don't mesh. But with something like this, when you've got such a discrepancy. It does look ridiculous. Yeah, Matt starts with Kevin Nash putting his hand up for the test of strength. This is fucking great. Yeah, to me, this this is the logical way to book it. Yes, you can argue it comes across as a bit bit flukish, perhaps. But what are you going to do? Have Mysterio just completely knock him out and pin him? You know, hook the leg and it's all over. (laughs) No, shoot the half. (laughs) Is it the the duration that hurts it? Because it's two minutes. If it's at least feels like a proper match, like an eight. 8 to 10 yeah I don't know what Nash does for 8 to 10 well that's, that's your problem but yeah does it seem like a legit he beat him rather than 2 minutes yeah that was kind of the key to the Goldberg Brock thing was that you do it quick so it's like he doesn't have time to get going mm. possibly possibly but I, I again I, I thought for, for as much flack as this is take for oh and of course Nash did this because the whole thing is he told everybody that they need to do jobs and he wanted to set set the example he, he, he set the bar yeah I, uh, don't get me wrong I'm, I'm sure there's uh, there's selfish motives involved here by all means but in terms of how it comes across and how we've seen the NWO brush off previous losses or previous things where they where they don't have the upper hand this at least seems genuine you know albeit fleetingly so we get to the main event Goldberg beats Scott Steiner by disqualification when Buff Bagwell attacks the referee I don't know why he just walks into the ring he's trying to unbuckle the, the turnbuckle punches the referee the referee comes in and goes what's going on here and he just grabs the ref's head and just pulls it into the buckle he sells it like an idiot <laughs> Buff just gets in and throws him out the ring Goldberg then throws Steiner into the buckle and because the buckle's not been taken off Buff reaches over to rip the buckle off so Steiner can take the bump to the buckle and then goes oh no <laughs> fucking moron uh, Bagwell and Steiner try to bail Rick Steiner makes his triumphant return to WCW okay, Buff gets speared and then uh, all the NWO losers come walking out Steve Ray throws Virgil in the ring because I guess he thinks he's the leader and uh, he gets speared as well by Goldberg to uh, end this situation So, and that's the end of the show yeah? no no it's not <laughs> the end of the show Carl let me tell you why because the show ends instead with two ratings killing videos back to back the first was the Nitro Girls on location in bikinis Taking a pit stop from the uh, Bruise Cruise, I take it. I'm assuming that's what this was. I, I assume they were stuck on some kind of desert island after jumping off the Bruise, bruise Cruise. Bruise Cruise? Is it Moose Cruise yeah, or br- Bruises? Bruise Cruise. Oh, okay. Bruise Cruise. Um, yeah. 
They didn't look very happy anyway. No, they were. A real weakness of Nash writing television is he doesn't seem to have a clue about positioning. It seems he thought that seeing babes in bikinis, since wrestlers live the strip club lifestyle, would mean more than a main event to build to at the end of the show. Then, after building the entire show around a Rick versus David Flair face-to-face confrontation stemming from what happened at Super Bowl, the NWO pirated the signal and showed a video of David and Tori making out while Nash came in doing his Arn Anderson imitation, uh, Scott Hall came in doing Roddy Piper, Disco was Mean Gene, and Hogan did Ric Flair. Not sexually, but yes, yeah, he impersonated <laughs> Ric Flair. This is one of the most painful things I've ever seen. The only thing about this whole thing was good was Nash with the beer can and the crowbar saying, you know, I've had this tyrant all these years. <laughs> Opens up the beer and says, is that not the greatest thing you've ever seen? <laughs> it's the greatest thing I saw in the vineyard. That's about it. This was, this was terrible. This one forever. This was five minutes of not funny jokes. What's the point? A, be- a burial. I think they need... Okay. I, for, I keep I keep forgetting I keep trying to frame things in, in like the context of wrestling logic yeah, you know? and you've also got to bear in mind even if it wasn't a burial the heels need to get the heat because that doesn't happen enough in WCW this is I mean I, 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 words don't do justice to how important it was as a main event and it's just you know it's one of those rare occasions where you know I'm I'm jealous that I'm not Ray Charles <laughs> But you could still hear this, which means you get to hear Hogan go on and on and on for fucking days, trying to be funny, wearing his Gucci Bucci shirt. At this point, I'm just glad he's ditched the FUBU jeans and the beanie hat. <laughs> Against more mercies, I know, but the only thing, only other thing of moderate amusement, and <laughs> Kevin Ash is just awful, by the way, in all of this thing, is uh, as Arn Anderson, this is just agonizingly bad. I don't know why he's got these, like, toy horses and he's doing the neighing constantly. The only other thing that was amusing was Disco Inferno saying, we can't possibly broadcast this, but I will give you the lurid details on the hotline. <laughs> that was okay. And the, the, the screen cuts out on Disco's face as Mean Gene to end. It's like, what the fuck is this? Does, what the hell happened to WCW? Does that not tell you that that's a big problem, though? When you do a skit, and the most entertaining person involved is Disco Inferno, is that not a warning sign? Well, the 3.9 wasn't a warning sign, so I'm not worried about what they think about Disco, unfortunately. What did this do? Raw did a 5.5 to Nitro's 4.7. Back up. For Nitro, a huge increase over the previous week with huge pickups among kids and teenagers in particular. Nitro peaked with 4.9 ratings for Nash vs. Mysterio and Conan's music video. (laughs) 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 Which I know, Carl, that you've had on loop. Does for the last sound. 18 years how like, is he so over it's almost I like don't a, understand it's almost like there's a demographic there that wants to appease him but isn't yeah. getting their ivories tickled on a regular basis I don't know it's it's interesting. who could that be I don't know Raw Pete with a 6.1 for Ken Shamrock versus Billy Gunn and the Sable interview the final uh, quarter hour saw Raw's X-Pac versus China and the beginning of Undertaker versus Kane and Inferno match doing a 5.5 to Nitro's ending of Goldberg versus Steiner and the Nitro Girls bikini video doing a 4.5. WCW then got absolutely fucking annihilated in the overrun with uh, doing a 3.8 for that awful sketch uh, with the uh, NWO being the horseman while Taker and Kane did a 6.5. Jesus. Yep. There you go. <laughs> I'm trying to think what I'd prefer to watch the, the vignette in, in the hope that something would happen. 
Naive Hope or Another Inferno Again, match. combined rating for the overrun, 10.3. Yeah. For Undertaker Kane and the Burning Teddy Bear and the fucking awful Hulk Hogan doing a Ric Flair impression segment. Just... And the Nitro Girls. Twice on Nitro, Tony Schiavone made reference to the challenge heard round the world issued by Bill Goldberg. The challenge itself drew almost no mainstream publicity, partially due to it coming off so weak on the show. Tony mentioned the challenge had gone unanswered and made some remarks about how some people can talk the talk but won't walk the walk but without making clear what exactly he was talking about. His statements largely were that cryptic WCW language that nobody but insiders understand and only annoy most other viewers. They don't, they just don't care. They never said Steve Austin's name. No. Because they couldn't, I guess. This shit only annoys people who know what they're talking about and know how stupid it is. 99% of the general population... It doesn't. Res- they don't give it a second thought. That's just the waste of time. When you've got a show, and you should be pr- and you should be building stars and not preoccupied with fucking burying people. And every fucking segment should be used to get someone over and build for the next show. And try and get some a footing again. They waste time with this bullshit, which has nothing to do with anything. Something that's not going to happen. So much filler in the matches is it, too. Is this, is this Enos Flynn? I can't emphasize that enough. Oh God, Enos. <laughs> Enos. How is he still around? I don't know. They need, but again, he never went away. No wonder Kevin Ash thinks there's no depth in this company. That's true. LOD no showed the raw taping, so their status is considered strongly in question. So that's the end of a Hawk and Animal on the WWF, pretty much from there. Two notes here: a real uh, tragedy and comedy situation back to back. The Renegade shot and killed himself during an argument with his girlfriend on February 22nd. He was apparently despondent after having just been let go by WCW. You laughed, Liam. I'm sorry, just just okay, reading that so, sentence there. So so that's the comedy. <laughs> he was known by those in WCW as a quiet wrestler who kept to himself when he was brought in for television events and that he was rarely used and didn't appear to be very close with anybody. So that's kind of a bit of a, yeah, obviously a very sad situation there. It's just the, you know being very despondent after being just let go by WCW like, of all the fuckers they keep around yeah I'm the one who gets rid of this <laughs> yeah, yeah indeed in light news Hector Garza ripped his scrotum <laughs> <laughs> in a match on Thunder with Psychosis oh I need to see that to add to his already bad knee from a botched op- operation with Hector Garza Ultimo Dragon and Rick Steiner that makes three botched up operations by the WCW doctors I thought you say torn anuses <laughs> torn scrotum torn scrotum which I guess yeah. in some weird way is apropos for this company of course Dragon had the elbow surgery which pretty much ended his career when the doctor cut the wrong nerve Rick Steiner had his shoulder surgery completely botched up and he had to have a second one and, uh, and now yeah Hector Garza had a bad uh, knee operation <laughs> and then tore his scrotum <laughs> well they cut his ball sack open when they were operating on his knee that's it <laughs> Yeah, question that, Doctor. Oh, my but God. Is it Mr. N. Riviera? <laughs> <laughs> Note from the torch here, and this is actually pretty interesting because we're going to see a lot more of this. Vince McMahon held a meeting at Titan Towers on February 23rd in reaction to several different media outlets coming out against the WWF. Among them are Inside Edition and ESPN's Outside the Lines. As of press time, Inside Edition was set to air a two-part series examining the WWF's controversial content. Among items the show is going to focus on is the Winnipeg School District, the band uh, wrestling shirts and magazines that we talked about at the last uh, episode of the timeline, and reveal the results of a recent study done by the Indiana University's Department of Telecommunications. This is the one that's actually referenced in Mick Foley's second book, when they did the study where they about how many chair shots and vulgar references and... uh, you know, uh, blurred and women and all that stuff. That Foley did a big uh, kind of anti piece or uh, what's the word I'm looking a, for? A here? rebuttal. To rebuttal. That's the, thank you. Well, I was struggling for that word. If, you know, yeah. I can yeah, again on his high horse. There, it, it's only apt that you know 
Actually, no, no, I won't do it. I got in trouble for rural Minnesota, so I won't go to Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> but birthplace of the modern clown, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I, won't, I won't go there. But having said that, thoughts about the fact that now... We, I mean, the, we, there were warning signs of this. Uh, we, we, we've it's been referenced uh, in snippets before, so it's clearly starting to pick up steam. So whilst there's a lot of things that are sort of rosy in the garden for the, for the company at the moment, that you know, it does seem like we're going to finally get a bit of blowback. It's an interesting thing with uh, momentum and um, uh, to PR in general when they were playing catch up. Any fucking mention controversy creates cash, after all, Eric. And uh, you know, getting your name out there is fine. But now you got something to lose. Absolutely. Now it means something. Um, yeah, opinion, uh, perspectives change a little bit. It's understandable, though. That's not. I don't think untoward. Indeed, the following day, the Inside Edition piece airs, and Vince Man came off terribly defending the content with a shades of later outburst that we see against the, the likes of Bob Costas and Armin Katayan on uh, some of those shows. But and it's very, very similar in the sense of when they start, you know, kind of questioning him on what Vince is actually getting at here with the current content, Vince fucking flips out and says, and this is a quote, don't tell me what I'm saying. You want to ask me what I'm saying? I'll tell you what I'm saying. Don't tell me what I'm saying, all right? I don't like that. It's what he's saying. It's that sort of thing when, when Vince can't pull, you know, pardon the expression, but when he can't pull the sort of the carny trick and just, you know, dismiss someone as, as, a, as a mark when, yeah. there's, when there's someone who's not you know real world people real world people <laughs> yeah no, but people who, who, who for all intents and purposes don't care or particularly love pro wrestling and don't view it through the prism of you know, a fan's perspective when it's just an investigative journalist mm-hmm. who actually might ask some needling questions he flies off the handle absolutely actually and the day before I think that Inside Edition piece uh, sorry the day before the meeting at Titan Towers Austin and Vince did a conference of some kind I can't remember where they were but Vince is talking to the media these investigative journalists and he goes whatever you want to ask it's right between the eyes you know big fucking Billy brass balls whatever and the, the questions come thick and fast about drugs in wrestling deaths in wrestling uh, and then and I think at one point they asked Steve Austin if he's ever used steroids and uh, I think Vince just cuts off and goes that's none of your business quite frankly it's like so much for right between the eyes I guess but uh Interesting. Wow, that's interesting. It, it's nice that after um, after suffering through the television like we have for this um, for this podcast, which you know, generally we you know we, we, we I normally look forward to these timelines, but the, the TV this month has been hideous. It's nice, Liam, that you're at least you know building us up with some nice positive stories to end on. <laughs> what else have you got? Mike Graham is back working with WCW as a road agent and helping coming up with finishes. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> This is, I've only put this in here because obviously that'll be very important in one year's time. No. Oh. oh, yes. <laughs> Chris Jericho may be leaning towards leaving WCW based on recent activities and the lack of pushes for the guys on his level. Signing Jericho is actually considered something of a big deal at Titan right now. So uh, that's, that's high on the priority list. And we close up now with a little uh, kind of bit of perspective about these stars and the impact of the stars of the WWF on other television shows. Steve Austin's appearance on the February 26th Nash Bridges was at least being talked about for a possible spin-off. Austin's performance in the role of a renegade cop was largely praised and perhaps more importantly made a significant impact on the ratings. The show generally does in the mid-sevens but the episode with Austin did a 9.8 rating and won the time slot. What the fuck does it do a 7 anyway? I have no idea. 
CBS heavily promoted Austin all week, tapping it as Stone Cold Friday uh, with television and radio promos for all of its primetime shows. The episode of that 70s show with Rock, Shamrock, Ernie Ladd and the Hardys did an 8.5 rating, which is the highest rating ever for that show. And their Mankind Chef Boyardee commercials have also begun airing this week. Beefy. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, wraps us up for the month of February here on the Monday Night War timeline. So much has taken place from where we were at the start of this month through some Drek television, I've got to say, to where we are now with a complete disintegration of WCW's internal structure, it seems like. Finger, fingers being pointed everywhere, creative just falling off a cliff, the numbers taking a, a, a real roller coaster up, down, up, down this month. What are your thoughts as we head into March? Where do we stand? Oh, oh, we, we, January did not see, for me, the noticeable decline yet. It's got to be here. This is the start, really. I mean, obviously, there's always those things you can look back at and say it was always there. But again, as we've seen, wrestling during this period of time, it's hot, has had the shocking ability to rebound from bad shows and bad angles. And now, it's starting. It's starting. The real downturn is starting. I can't wait for March's television. <laughs> oh, Jesus. What, what, what adventures await? Um... <laughs> I think at, at this point, you know, there's not much you can really say about the WF except for, yes, we, we still know that there's that lack of sort of roster depth, um, despite what uh, Mr. Nash would tell you. But, you know, the stars are over, the company's hot, they're doing gangbusters business. There's there's some trouble on the horizon, but uh, but it's not an issue at the moment. Whereas WCW, you know, they've... <laughs> you know the sh- the ship is finally taking on water, and they don't have buckets to bail out. All they're left axes. <laughs> so yeah, some pe- some people have got axes. Thinking, I know what. Let's put some air holes in. We'll float that way. And the ones that aren't doing that are looking for the squeegee that Sid had in '92. And that's that's where we are. I think like the fundamental behind the scenes operations of this company haven't changed for what we know three four years now but when you're rolling and shit can fly and go under the radar and not really matter to the overall picture of we're killing them and even when it evens up a little bit okay the tension things start you know squeaky bum time a little bit but then now they try their latest their latest trick which is already going back to the NWO, and then they compound it by trying more more WF-style TV, and it fucking falls on its face. All the house of cards that was there all along, because of the structure of the thing, and the managerial structure, and uh, the egos, the contracts, all these things that everyone knows about, where the pressure's on, true character shows them the conflict, and this is conflict. How do you come back from it? And they're too busy trying to protect themselves individually rather than building the company. And get, when, when they're not even... When the numbers are still there to, to be, you know, they're good numbers still. They die for numbers like this today. They'd fucking die, and they just completely implode because these house of cards, they're all there for themselves, and the shit hits the fan. And now, yeah, the, the shit hits the fan. That's it. And it's, it's the, the, this it, more more fingers getting pointed. The exacerbation of protecting themselves individually because now it means even more, now it's fucking. Now we need ex, if you haven't got an exit strategy, you need to protect yourself. Um, it's just it's all the things that've been building of when it the, it never had the epic failure they were always competitive or in front now it's, it's fucking the master plan has completely fallen on its face it's like shit 
fuck <laughs> and everything has just been ramped up to 11 <laughs> that, <it's, laughs> I'm not sure there's much more you can say to that <laughs> really you know, the, the chickens have come home to roost <laughs> Uh, there's a great quote from Alan it's one of my favourite lines ever which is uh, adversity introduces a man to himself and that is so apropos I think for a mass spot liver spot (laughs) 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 fucking Kevin Nash here who when things go down and Bischoff's not around that much and it's it's, a lot of it's on Nash and it all fucking goes to shit under Nash's great vision for what wrestling should be Mm. And his fucking you know, idea of who can work and who can't, and who gets buried and who can't, it does a 3.9 at a time like this, when things are so hot, and the amount of shit we've seen this month on television that does well. I mean, the fucking Mark Henry blowjob did great, you know? That's it, though. It's the overall, as much as Vince is answering and to fucking the critics, it is the overall theme of the, apart from Steve Austin and the top character, the lack of depth is made up for by the overall attitude to steal the pun fully intended um, that's over and that's why and that's what keeps them rolling so it almost sounds like sort of middle manager speak so it makes me skin crawl a bit but the the vision resonates <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely of course this is not the end of our Monday Night War timelining for this uh, period of time because we do in fact have one more stop to go on our uh, three and three baby three and three that's the plan it is of course March of 1999 next on the docket next week here at Squared Circle Gazette Radio where we will be talking about Wrestlemania 15 WCW Uncensored with another Flair versus Hogan match on top the continuation of what we've seen today from WCW this is going to be a lot of fun so uh, I want to thank everybody for listening Uh, we will be back of course next week as we say March 99 on the timeline join us then for Carl Jones I'm working on page 7 of that draft Kieran and for Kieran O'Rourke I'm going to go with Korma Crush because he loves a Korma (laughs) (laughs) and he's got no heat (laughs) (laughs) I am Liam O'Rourke and we are out here talking next week (laughs)